0: Welcome one and all to episode 75 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where you break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. What's going on? What's going on? We're back. We're back talking Star Wars. been a couple of weeks now since we've had an opportunity to uh, talk about Andor, uh, and we're back doing a combo episode this week.
1: A two-for-one deal. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a KFC meets Taco Bell. Or uh, Taco Bell meets Pizza Hut, or you got, uh, you uh, always Long got John Silver's meets Taco Bell. You've always
0: got Taco Bell on the on the brain, man. You, you,
1: you, well, I mean, can you blame? I feel me? like we should get a
0: sponsorship can... at this point.
1: <laughs> well, actually, did I? I don't know if you knew about this, but Taco Bell actually responded to a, a, a tweet that I made at them. Um, was, it was was probably it like a, the highlight of my life? Was it
0: like a positive tweet, or were you like, "Hey, what the what the hell is up with my gordita or whatever"? You know, uh,
1: it was uh, they they sent out this notification that was like, check your app on, uh, on May, you know, 20, whatever to, for a special announcement for everybody that has the app, like that you've, you've signed up for Taco Bell, uh, check for a special announcement. So I did. And, uh, and then it was like, here's the announcement. Uh, We might bring back the Mexican pizza uh, way later, like not now, but way later. Gotcha. Uh, And so I made a tweet about that. And I think I said, consider my chain yanked. And they responded with the the hand emoji and the chain emoji. Dang. And uh, so it was like it was
0: an announcement about a potential announcement is what you're saying.
1: And so I said, thanks a lot, guys. And they went, ha ha you suck.
0: See, I I know that I'm I'm newer to the West Coast as uh, as as some of our listeners might know and so we have like the Del Taco thing in addition to the Taco Bell thing and uh, I got to say, you know, it's obviously not like fine dining or anything, but I was I was pretty pretty impressed. Uh, as far as like the cheap fast food Mexican restaurants go, quote unquote Mexican restaurants um, yeah. go, I got to say I uh, I was pretty impressed. They also have the 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 tortas there, which are like I don't have you ever had a torta? It's like a, I have had a torta. Yeah, yes. it's like a like a Mexican sandwich. It's absolutely right. delicious, and they have those. So Taco Bell I think needs a step. They're 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 in the wrong genre. They're still they're like exploring Italian food now. <laughs> they're yeah, getting they've got, like they've got the cheese
1: it, pizza, the cheese it pizza yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like what are you guys doing? I don't I don't know, oh, man. Get back I to, can't endorse it. Get
0: back to basics. And, you know, while Taco Bell's figuring out all of their stuff, no, we have plenty of Star Wars news to discuss today. This is not uh, sc- scum and I couldn't think of a pun. Uh, it's what We'll just keep on barreling <laughs> through. <laughs> Listeners, if you think of a pun, tweet it at me at Garrett McDowell. Uh, this week, we do have some news that we wanted to discuss that we had kind of hinted on in prior weeks. Also, guys, if you want to listen to either of our conversations on uh, either last week's episode or this week's episode, you can click on the link in the descriptions and that'll take you to the respective time codes. If you just want to get to our discussion about this week's episode of Andor titled Announcement, but it is a pretty big Star Wars story in regards to news and everything. And that is James Earl Jones, obviously a legendary Star Wars actor and a legendary actor in his own right, is retiring as the voice of Darth Darth Vader, who had previously shown up in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, uh, but in maybe not ways that you would expect. Um, Because from this new story, uh, new in in, in quotes here, um, from Vanity Fair, uh, they confirmed that James Earl Jones did have uh, pretty much no involvement, at least no acting on his behalf, uh, in recording new lines of dialogue for Darth Vader, all uh, digitally created performances for um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, James Earl Jones, who is at 91, um, officially said farewell to the character uh, in an official sense in that he went to a, a recording booth, said his lines uh, for his very, very small appearance in The Rise of Skywalker. You know, kind of putting a nice uh, a little bow on his career here, um, uh, voicing this legendary character. And then after that, kind of, you know, just kind of, he was done. Uh, he put a nice bow on everything. And that was um, it. And that was it until uh, this little uh, Disney Plus original sh- uh, short film here. <laughs> this little indie project here, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, obviously had Darth Vader in it. Be- a very big character, very big role in this series as well. Um, and you and I had also kind of theorized when the show came out. We we heard the voice. Um, and I I definitely did uh, hear this the the lines recorded. And I kind of was like, okay. It sounds like James Earl Jones, but I I would have bet... my my bottom dollar that it wasn't actually James Earl Jones. And I'm I'm proud to say that my ears picked up on this. You can go back and listen to those episodes, but I definitely kind of Babe Ruth called my shot. And I was like, you know what? I don't (laughs) think that that's James Earl Jones. And my suspicions are correct. Uh, This was all created uh, digitally. Um, The same technology that they implemented um, with uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's voice in... Uh, the the Mandalorian and the book the book of Boba Fett, um, all of that was done using computers, using recorded samples. Um, with with um, the the man or with the book of Boba Fett and Luke Skywalker in particular, it was with audiobooks. I'm not sure what the 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 exact technology technology was involved here. Um, I, I, there's a kind of another leg to the story that I want to talk about. That is interesting. But first I just want to discuss the idea that James Earl Jones is officially
1: retiring from this character. Kind of what's your reaction to that? Well, this is a weird sort of like he's gone and he will be missed. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we won't continue to hear him. That's one of those things now more than ever, when production companies have a library of faces or likenesses that they can use. That, you know, if somebody says, I'm not doing this anymore, we go, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, and that's kind of like, you know, no one ever thought that we would see Luke Skywalker again. Nobody thought that. It was mm-hmm. so out of the blue. And granted, there's a little bit of ways to go. But um, the way that technology has been able to uh, sort of make these these bounding leaps towards recreating um things that are you know completely familiar doing it in a way that's barely recognizable in terms of like you it really could fly under the radar 99% of the time. Uh, Garrett, your ears are that 1%. So feel (laughs) lucky. Hell yeah.
0: It feels good to finally be the 1%. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Topical. Hey man, this isn't a political show. We steer clear
1: of all of that. We don't talk about politics at all. None of it.
0: uh, I've got some bad news about today's Andor episode. It's pretty political. Oh no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shut it down. Shut it down. (laughs) Anyways. Um, yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that like the, the half of this story is, you know, it's so nice to be able to have James Earl Jones, you know, have a, uh, kind of a, a parting of the ways with this character. Um, and we can feel that as fans, but at the same time, in the year of our Lord 2022, we know that that doesn't necessarily hold a lot of weight the way that it might have, you know, even even a decade ago, you know? So, right. I don't know. It's interesting, but, you know, w- we at least have that kind of, that knowledge that we lived through a time where the guy was was voicing Darth Vader. And from here on out, I mean, I am surprised that they're going to say that that digital is the way that they're going to go because there have been plenty of, uh, voice actors for Vader. Some that I, you know, have a, a connection with whether it's, you know, I think star Wars, the force unleashed. Um, I am blanking on the guy's name, but you know, lots of, lots of voice actors have, have taken a crack at Vader. And I think that they kind of maybe deserve that, you know, passing of the torch instead of saying James Earl Jones is the voice and if we can't have him, then no one else can have it. So, I don't know. It's kind of a double, double-edged sword, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think it's uh, just first and foremost, uh, uh, just a big thank you, you know, to James right. Earl Jones. Yeah. Bringing to life uh, so many beloved characters. But this is one that is one of the most iconic voices. Uh, one of his most iconic performances, for sure. Uh, but just someone who... Uh, Even as uh, as a kid was uh, excited, scared, thrilled by the voice of Darth Vader, something that everybody tries to emulate but can't get quite right, just because James Earl Jones, even before all the effects and everything, just has such a magnificent voice, and he brought so much menace, but also... Kind of class and a, a, an underrated level of humor to this character, um, and the way that he says some lines, uh, I, I do feel like there is a little bit of playfulness to Darth Vader, which almost makes it a little scarier. Um, but he is, you know, what a legacy um, of as this character, and I'm I'm also glad that he's able to bow out you know, under his own terms. And he um, still is with us and is, you know, is of sound mind and relative health, I would assume. And he's able to go... enough is enough, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move on. And, uh, for somebody like, you know, James Earl Jones, I, I, I'm glad that he is able to be proud of his career, but understand that maybe he has different interests or, you know, that, that chapter in his life is behind him and he's ready to close that. So, um, first off, just a big thank you to James Earl Jones and everything that he has, um, contributed. And I know we're starting to get around that time to where, you know, um, Star Wars made 1977, a lot of those key figures uh, early on are, are going to be passing and, and and moving into the next chapter. And even though that James Earl Jones is still with us, it's still a reminder of just how, um, I guess, important and and impactful a lot of these uh, performers and, and voices in Star Wars, you know, literally and otherwise. Um, I also think of John Williams and, and him, uh, you know, other than uh, Indiana Jones, potentially maybe being his last score. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to get original uh, John Williams music anymore. And and I I would argue that James Earl Jones is, you know, as significant to some of the, uh, you know, audible – kind of resonance that Star Wars has and Darth Vader's voice is just so iconic. So yeah, first and foremost, just a big old thank you uh, and uh, a a pleasant farewell, a bittersweet farewell for sure. Um, On the technical side of things, I think that there is... Kind of this there's this impressiveness, of course, with a lot of the deep fake stuff, you know, both visually with some of the face matching stuff that we saw in the book of Boba Fett, specifically with Luke Skywalker looks absolutely terrific. Um, The the audible stuff, I think I'm of mixed minds of it because, one, I'm not terribly convinced by it. um, And I think even more so I'm not moved by it. Um, I think especially so with Luke Skywalker, even though it sounds like him and it sounds a lot like him, I think that there is that human side of things that is missing um, and where I feel like Luke Skywalker has such a warmth to him and such a, a sense of wisdom to him, or at least should at this time. And I felt like that was kind of missing from his performance. Um, Darth Vader, I feel like there were a few things that were, were kind of tipping my hand. And even though it does sound like him, there were certain lines that he had said that I was like, you know what? I don't know if James Earl Jones would have made that acting choice. And it's kind of a weird thing to say because it's a computer. Um, Maybe I assume there's uh, – in the second kind of leg of this conversation we'll talk about, um, I assume that they're in the in the, uh, re-speeching work of this, that there is maybe some pitching up or pitching down to maybe – kind of uh, uh, step in for some of those acting choices. I I am obviously not in this field, so I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but I would assume there is a little bit of leeway or artistic interpretation of what you can do. Um, But for me, it has not reached the point to where I am convinced that it is a substitute for a a voice actor stepping in. Um, You had mentioned uh, the voice actor from uh, The Force Unleashed. Um, A personal favorite of mine is Matt Sloan. Uh, who voices Darth Vader in the the Lego specials but I think the best example of his and I think one where he's maybe giving a more accurate impression of Darth Vader Lego seems to be a bit more fun but um uh, sloan was in Battlefront 2 and voices Vader in that and I think he does um, a really great job and there are a number of lines when you're playing as Vader that he says that I feel like um, really emulate that kind of uh, menace that Vader has like when you're uh I think he when he throws your light when you throw your lightsaber is worthless and i've just it's it always makes me smile um so i think matt sloan uh, does a really terrific job as vader and you know even though it might not be like a dead-on uh impression of that character um i still think it works and i would point to somebody like sam witwer does he sound like how darth maul sounds in the phantom menace identically not really granted his voice isn't as iconic as somebody like darth vader but i think with time i i feel less and less attached to that. It's got to sound exactly like him, or I'm I'm not okay with that. I think um, I would point to the music as well It's like, well, Star Wars can sound like different things with Andor versus, you know, um, Star Wars rebels or something. Star Wars can look like different things. You know, I think that there is some artistic flexibility that should be um, allowed there, especially with something like this. And the fact that People get old, man. Like that's life. You know, we I, we can't really rely on this sort of stuff forever. So yeah, I think I'm I'm of mixed minds about it. I'm not a, a entirely convinced by it, just purely on a filmmaking level, and even morally so. I'm not I'm not going to act like you know AI is going to do away with acting and all. We're not going to have stuff like you know uh, performers and thespians anymore. I'm not saying that you know AI is the death of art, um, but I do think that. Maybe the technology has a little bit ways to go to where I'm willing or even interested in really um, giving a lot of credit to the idea that, well, this is better than just hiring a voice actor. Because honestly, I don't really feel like we're at that point.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things is, you know, like you said, the convincing, I think, is the key word um, when it comes to all this. And it is a conversation that goes back to Rogue One and and, you know, how convinced are we of this thing? I feel like the at the point where technology is i don't think that disney or lucasfilm has it out for anybody i don't think that they think that anyone's stupid and they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes and say ha fooled you bet you didn't even know that there wasn't even a real person behind that you know Mm -hmm. that's not what's going on but when it comes to filmmaking it is a question of how convincing can this be how you know can we make this believable um so i think you're dead on i i'm questioning the believability of maybe sustaining this long-term and on the you know acting side of things like I'd said I feel like it takes away from from other performers but that's you know we've only seen a very limited handful of of these examples that's kind of yet to be um discovered I guess the extent of what Disney or what Lucasfilm is willing to do excuse me I have a have something caught my throat he's getting choked up man it's okay um, you know it's okay <laughs> no I, I had a i had a, a salad that was a little bit spicy <laughs> you uh, had a
0: salad no taco
1: bell this week no Friday, taco buddy. bell well i did when i watched andor what do you, you think i'm some kind of animal I got not gonna break it's, tradition i get it <laughs> of course not uh no i had a i had a spicy salad anyways um <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Uh, I got all got all choked up and uh, my train of thought has left the station. Um, Well, I'll hop on board and yeah,
0: I I, I think it's, yeah, the, the is definitely one angle and you're right in saying that this is kind of the options or I guess the cases of, of this being implemented or technology similar to this is kind of it's definitely new territory. It's something that just the technology has gotten to this point to within literally like the past couple of years, we're kind of having to to ask these questions. And I know that there are similar questions to things that have been asked before. Um, I think watching light and magic when um, there was this real conversation even within the industry itself of, CG versus practical effects and that's something that's obviously been a conversation among fans but even the filmmakers themselves having this idea of well it's just ones and zeros it's not really this tangible um uh, thing that you can hold in your hands and create and put your blood sweat and tears into necessarily in the same way I know the conversation has evolved a lot since then that's not necessarily my opinion but I think light and magic covers that pretty thoroughly um with this I I yeah, I, I think it's it's complicated because it seems to really be a case-by-case basis thing to where it's like, well, James Earl Jones, still with us, is able to sign off on this thing and be presented with the technology. And I would presume that they show it to him and they're like, Here's what it sounds like. Here's a demo, here's a test, what do you think? And if he goes, Sounds great, awesome, moves on, then great. You know, who am I to say that they can't or shouldn't do something like this? I think with myself I even it's it becomes a bit of like, mm, I don't really know, because when, in regards to like, let's ask the estate and see what they think of it. Because I look at somebody like Carrie Fisher, obviously bringing her back uh, digitally for Rise of Skywalker. Her family seemed to be very supportive of that. Something like that. I'm OK with again, like I, I, I trust uh, her family has her best interest at heart but there was a conversation a few months ago that Stan Lee might be brought back in CG and that his family his estate had kind of signed off on that and i was like well wait a minute his family is an infamously like money hungry <laughs> greedy like there's a lot of instances a lot of reporting of his family you know actively doing harm to him uh financially emotionally and otherwise uh while he was still with us and the fact that they are you know dragging out his CG corpse just to re- maybe ring out a few bucks is right. not sit right with me so it really is a case by case basis thing um, all of that to say is like this conversation is definitely going to evolve as the technology evolves. Like I can't believe how drastically it has. I mean, look at the Mandalorian season two and the Book of Boba Fett as direct comparisons, and it's pretty night and day. Like it's, and that's just a few, maybe a year's, you know, difference in technology. So obviously, this is going to evolve. Um, you and I aren't super qualified to talks about talk about the the technological ins and outs of everything, but somebody that is, is kind of the second leg of this conversation that I think is really fascinating. uh, And that is kind of this uh, unsung hero of, of all of this. His name is Bogdan Believ, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He is a um, researcher or, or excuse me, he is a, a employee for re-speecher um, who is working out of Ukraine or had worked on, uh, out of Ukraine, um, working on bringing Darth Vader and James Earl Jones back to the screen. Um, and there's a really fascinating story about all of this to where he was working under the Russian invasion of Ukraine, trying to create this project. Um, and there's some really interesting um, quotes from both Matthew Wood as well as Bogdan who are able to kind of talk about this time. Um, it really seems like Lucasfilm and ILM and everybody in Skywalker Sound were really prioritizing his safety. And it wasn't like they were cracking the whip, like, come on, you better, you know, pump out this content. Yeah, they're like, um, hey, yeah.
1: man, we're all on the Zoom. Like, Come on, we we had to rearrange for this time. Yeah, zone Can, and you, can everything. you go ahead and
0: mute yourself? There seems to be just like <laughs> espl- mortar explosions happening behind him. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem to really be like that at all. But um, it seems like this collaboration was uh, stressful for uh, for
1: a number of reasons. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. Probably one big reason, I can guess. But yeah, that's it. Reading the story is is one of those things where you're like, man, to to have the passion to work on something, right? If there's one thing that you're like, yeah, I'm I'm passionate enough about this thing to you know forsake you know all of these other things I could be worrying about. Granted, like you said, Lucasfilm is is saying like, hey man, uh, if it's not done by Thursday, you know, don't don't worry about it. Like we'll yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, yeah. they're not. You know they're they're not forcing him to to get it done by a certain time, but sure, that's one of those things that's like, yeah, I'm passionate about this thing, and I was asked to do this thing. I would love to do this thing. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, Um, crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, the
0: the perseverance and, and, you know, working in the face of adversity is something that is, you know, completely, um, completely admirable to where as me, I like wake up with a headache and I'm like, no, I'm calling off work. I'm laying in bed all day. No, <laughs> thanks. No, thanks. Not coming in. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's uh, Vanity Fair did a really fascinating um, article and breakdown of all of this, uh, things that we've discussed about here, uh, as well as some other details. Uh, but, yeah, this was really a story that I, I felt like, the The passing of the torch, so so to speak, of Darth Vader is something that we should probably uh, touch on on the show. So, um, yeah, thank you, big thank you to James Earl yes. Jones, uh, and uh, I hope he is still with us for many years to come. Uh, and I'm I'm glad that he is able to retire and relax, uh, hopefully on a on a sunny beach with a drink in his hand and maybe a little umbrella. Get some gosh darn peace and quiet for just for once. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so, some some R and R for James Earl Jones is all yes. that we ask. Uh, yeah, so that concludes our conversation of that, and let's move on to discussing. Oh, but wait, what? I have I have a piece
1: of my own news. What? He's got yeah, a bit of news. I've got a bit of news, Uh-oh. and uh, this is a this is something I I, I wasn't going to share with you before we started because I I want your live reaction. Okay, um, I'm ready. Do you remember when we talked about? Uh, the mobile game Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, from what I remember, where we
0: last left the story, you were at a play story. You were just kind of like, I I, I gave it its fair shot. I gave it its its fair due, uh, but I'm kind of bored, and it's yes. not really fulfilling what I would want from a Star Wars game, other than the the, the iconography and the IP of everything. So yes. I thought you had, like James Earl Jones, had closed that chapter, and we're moving on. Well, I'll You're tell telling you what? something else
1: happened no i'll tell you that chapter is closed but it brings up a next important chapter uh star wars hunters will be coming soon and uh i have uh involuntarily elected myself uh to be giving that a shot when it does because i did it i pulled the trigger and i bought a switch garrett Whoa! never thought i'd say those words but i did Dang! Well, are there any other games
0: other than Star Wars Hunters that you are particularly looking forward to giving a a, a test drive here?
1: Well, the uh, first game, if you're curious, the first game that I purchased with my Switch was Super Mario Maker Two because that's just right up my alley. Nice. Um, I'm not crazy about like grabbing a bunch of a bunch of different games or anything just yet. I'm happy just having my own little my own little personal handheld that I can just. Just sit in bed on a, on a Saturday and and play my little Switch, just like I'm just like I'm ten years old playing Super Mario Sunshine or whatever.
0: Fascinating. I am very. I'm proud of you. You know. I know this was a long time coming, and you were <laughs> you were hesitant. Um, I know you're a, a big Nintendo boy. I um, am. Yeah. So yeah. For me, I I think there's a few titles that would have to be added for for me to be a, a, officially interested. Um, but I'm I'm glad that we have a, an official insider. I think this game is also coming to mobile. So maybe I'll give that a bit of a crack, a bit of Wait a swing.
1: A you're saying I didn't have to buy a switch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure it's a. a com- completely different experience but yeah i'm saying that you wasted your money so congrats. that was
1: the only reason i bought it no oh, no
0: <laughs> i de- yeah i doubt that the star wars hunters you know really twisted your arm there considering that game might not be coming out for like another 10 months well, to be honest
1: i forgot that it was coming out and then i was like oh i gotta tell garrett that i bought a switch because we talked about that why were we talking about that oh my god star wars hunters that's why <laughs> so, exactly uh, that's what led us to here <laughs>
0: I think there's also the, the Knights of the Old Republic game is on there, right? Is it is it really?
1: But I mean, I, think I, so. I already own a PS4 and if it's going to be, you know, if it's going to be any better there, then we'll just take a crack at it, I guess. But, but
0: can you play your PS4 while you're at work, supposed to be doing work?
1: I can't do that. And that's, that's a what great I'm saying. point.
0: See, because you've got Knights of the Old Republic, you've also got Star Wars, The Force Unleashed, um, as well as some remasters of uh, Jedi Knight Academy um Lego Star Wars of course uh as well
1: as Star Wars Racers, Star Wars Republic Commando and Star Wars Pinball. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Well, I wasn't really on board, but uh that last one, that last one really hooked me. <laughs> you can buy it right now on eBay for
0: $40 plus $12 shipping. <laughs> I won't. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if this is official, but this cover art is atrocious. I'm, really? I'm is this a real thing? Is Star Wars Pinball for the Nintendo Switch a real thing? Like, is are there any fans out there who are like screaming into their into their their
1: Spotify, trying to you know, oh, advocate gosh. for Star
0: Wars Pinball? Hey, I'm
1: used s- at GameStop for seventeen ninety nine. So seventeen ninety nine. Uh, yeah, and uh, I feel like of all, you're absolutely yeah. right. The uh, the cover art is horrible. You were looking at the one with like Leia and Boba Fett and Ray and yep, and a a red hologram of, of Vader.
0: Yeah. Nothing like that. The red of Darth Maul to clash against the red of the background. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is some yucko cover art. Um, I also just feel like fundamentally, fundamentally the appeal of a of a pinball is like the tangibility of it. You know, it's like an analog, you get the art of everything and the lights and the sounds and everything playing that on the switch. I, I can't imagine how fun that is, but, uh, you can buy it right now on Amazon for $30. Good God. That is outrageous. <laughs> that is outrageous. Does anyone like this game? Maybe that's the next one that we have to do. Oh, it better not be. New, new segment of the show. Does anyone like this game? Noah finds out. Yeah.
1: Google users, 90% of people liked this video game. So uh, oh, I'll be the judge of that. I'll sh- be the sh- judge of that. Shows
0: what I know, apparently. This seems to be popular with the kids. Uh, but yes, I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on Star Wars Hunters. Um, I hope it plays well than the mobile version that I played at Star Star Wars Celebration, because that thing was buggy. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for sure. Uh, But no, that takes us into our discussion of Andor. Episode 6, The Eye, uh, dropped on Disney Plus just a few short days ago. Um, again, you and I didn't necessarily have a lot of time uh, to to uh, convene here uh, on this platform and talk about this episode. But I know right when the episode aired, uh, uh, you and I uh, shared, uh, you know, exchanged some pleasantries online, just, uh, you know, sharing our eagerness to be talking about this episode. Uh, so what is kind of your spoiler-free initial reaction? Then we'll dive into the episode itself. I guess you don't have to keep it spoiler-free. People have probably seen it at this point. But just general thoughts on episode
1: six of Andor, The Eye. General thoughts. Um, what a spectacle! Uh, this is like this is made for this is made for the big screen in a way that's like not that it's a bad thing that we're getting this in a series, but I always look at things like this. Um, this show as a whole, honestly, um, sort of in tandem with what else we have available to us, or in tandem with maybe some Marvel properties. I look at these things. compare them and say you know this is possible i don't think that there's a problem with the format of maybe you know a limited series or you know what what disney plus is trying to do with with some their properties because you look at something like andor and you realize doing something really well is possible they just did it over here i just watched it um i don't have enough good things to say about this show. I mean, it, or uh, this episode specifically, um, my goodness, uh, again, spectacle. Um, I think that, you know, I'm still kind of on the same track of, Uh, talking to a couple people who tried to start watching Andor, and they said, this isn't quite fast enough. You know, I was trying to just get in a quick 30-minute episode and, you know, get my fill of TV for the day, and now I'm, you know, a little bit confused about where things are at. I only watched the first episode or the first two. It's not really making sense to me. People that are kind of going into it with that sort of, um, those barriers, this episode solidifies that there is payoff there is through line um if you're willing to wait through those quote unquote duller moments i don't personally think that they are more or less dull um in terms of episode to episode but i think that for people that aren't quite hooked this is another this is another episode that's going to play really well um all together granted it plays really well on its own it it really just like from start to finish you're fully engaged you're there you're with it and it is building and building and building and it's got you kind of in its grasp for every single second of the episode um there's sort of a a really like masterful quality in being able to write really quiet intense scenes in the middle of an episode like this that's just jam-packed with, you know, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? Oh my gosh, what's happening right now? What am I even looking at? Being able to take a pause and learn something about a person uh, and, like, reflect on that and learn something about relationships between the characters on screen and learn something about yourself watching it and you're like, oh my god, I didn't realize I I felt that strongly about, you know, person A or B or whatever it is. And you're just sort of hit with that. That's crazy to me. I think that this is one of the times really that I've been over the moon about something that I have pulled up on Disney Plus. So those are my general thoughts. All good things. Yeah,
0: I think we had discussed um, uh, last week when we had talked about uh, the prior two episodes to this series uh, and you and I had frustration might be a, a strong word, but just um, a little bit of pause, I suppose, about just sort of the the structure of this series and how that is just kind of indicative of a lot of television nowadays, how they are seen as these 12, 10 hour, 11 hour, whatever uh, kind of movies rather than a television show, kind of in a classical sense. Um, and now that is just kind of, you know, the the reality of the way that this series is structured, at least at this point. Um, and I think that this was an episode that a lot of people were anticipating seeing this heist finally kick off um, and this being the sort of climax to this, uh, you know, uh, this three episode arc here, um, which is also, you know, parallel to what we saw in episode three of this series that it was kind of uh, a steady incline to things finally popping off and then episode four kind of going back down and then, and, and then again climbing again. So as far as the structure, of the series this is an inherently exciting episode we finally get to see this heist something that we've building to for two weeks now uh, and I think even with that, um, I was very um, uh, very uh, impressed by the the tension um, that is in this episode, also what this episode has to say, um, and the commentary that it sort of reinforces on, on a lot of the bigger ideas in the series up to this point. Um, I thought that this was yeah, uh, definitely going to be an episode that, upon rewatches, I'm really looking forward to, and not just because yeah, they finally shot blasters in this episode. Thank God, this is Star Wars. <laughs> I think I've seen a lot of people online kind of being like, oh, finally, this is Star Wars. And I just don't necessarily feel the enthusiasm to, to pit this against other episodes in this series um, uh, or other Star Wars shows in general. Um, I think that this is just something that this active current conversation that is having in the fandom as far as the structure of this series is concerned is something that's going to fade in time you know when people discover this series or rediscover the series or are watching this on a binge you know looking forward to season two the week-to-week sort of structure isn't really going to bother people and that's just again that's just kind of how tv works nowadays you know that's just kind of the way of things Um, and it's something that I think is now that you and I are kind of settled into this and a lot of the fans are sort of settled if episode seven sort of continues this structure and I'm curious to see now that we're getting into kind of the the latter half of this series I, I'm, I'm curious to see if it is going to continue that pattern and I think even if it does it's like I'm kind of ready for it you know I'm here on the ride I know that we just you know uh, got this really exciting uh, uh, sort of mini finale to this this three episode so I'm not expecting episode seven and to be this, you know, whiz bang, action packed, tense uh, adventure like this one was, but instead, it's probably going to be something a little bit more quiet. So I'm kind of learning to to ride that wave and, and to let Andor just kind of unfold itself, and being trying to find the the what excites me as far as ideas or conversations that happen, uh, and and trying to find excitement in less obvious era uh, areas, and that I think that that's been really rewarding in our mm-hmm. conversations, but also watching. This as a fan. So yeah, I think that this was a a really great mixture of big ideas, big conversation, big choices, but also uh, rewarding action. uh, And and overall, just seeing this heist try to
1: happen under these, you know, uh, extreme circumstances, I thought was just really thrilling. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing that I'm taking away here. Um, Like you had said about kind of riding the wave of, of how this structure is. The thing that I keep thinking, and I tell myself that I shouldn't make expectations like this, um, but I think back to episode three and I'm thinking, okay, where was, you know, where was the tension at by episode three? Where were we at with how we felt about certain things? You know, how did these things play out? When we talk about episode three, you know, we're looking at a lot of the logical conclusion of some of the thematic moral kind of questions um, that have been set up, you know, thus far. And I feel like we're going on this wave. And so at episode six, we're at another crest. And this time, you know, it's it's much higher. It's a much bigger wave than episode three. I don't want to say that we're going to continue that pattern for episodes 9 and 12, respectively. But the fact that we are learning a lot more about the world and getting deeper and deeper into these characters. I mean, for one, cannot wait to see, uh, cannot wait to see the, uh, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Cyril. Uh, I almost said cereal because I was like the guy eating cereal. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait to see cereal next episode because I know Mm -hmm. that we will. And Mm -hmm. now we're getting to the point where, okay, great. What, what is he going to do? Where does like, where does this go? And Mon Mothma is now, you know, you know, in these different realms of, okay, like things are going on there that we're going to see more of. So it's becoming an interesting ride of, you know, maybe maybe the climactic third episode of the arcs aren't going to be just bigger and louder and crazier. Maybe not, but I care way more about all of the characters in this show as time goes on. You know, just from episode to episode, feeling more like I understand what these characters are, are trying to say. And that just makes a good show. It just does. So... <laughs> really excited for that
0: well i think it's also like when we see this heist carried out we you and i had talked before that we're like this heist which is relatively low stakes as far as like star wars is concerned and things that we've seen in star wars especially in in cassian's own life you know it's like we're gonna steal the plans to this planet killing machine that is going to spell doom for the entire galaxy. And in this one, they're just stealing money. You know, it's like a pretty basic sort of heist that you would see uh in any sort of uh, you know, oceans movie or something like that. It's just something like we just got to get money to fund this rebellion. But for these characters, it's the most impactful important thing that they've done. And that that final step towards Rebellion. There's one episode or one moment in this episode in particular that is a literal leap into that. And I'm, I'm excited to be talking about that here. But yeah, I think that this episode in building to that moment, this is something that would have been covered in one episode in Star Wars Rebels. This literally would have just been, hey, here's the episode where they go to this planet and steal the thing or Bad Batch or something like that, where that mission and the buildup to it is covered within a 30 minute animated episode. But the fact that this has been Separated among those three uh, separate blocks, really does allow for those moments of why? Are, why is this character here? How do they interact with this other character and their ideals? And I think in building to that, the the fate of these characters is ultimately more impactful. Um, I think that some of the characters in this I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time with and, and understanding their perspective and and why they're in this fight and 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 how they view Cassian and. and his status and everything, and just kind of the interplay of this crew, because I think we definitely spent a lot of time with a few key members in this group. Uh, not to say that they're not going to be in this show anymore now that this mission is is sort of complete, but in that, we spent you know, two episodes of Build Up. I think we I would have enjoyed a little bit more time um, with some of these other characters. All that to say, though, I think the Build Up is still very interesting. and in the the build up to this has never bored me or or been disinteresting. It's just that uh, how it's spread out throughout the season is just kind of uh, it's just television nowadays. and And you know, kind of riding that wave and let it tell you the story. Let it unfold this uh, tale to you. Um, I think it's something that uh, has been kind of uh, uh, something that I've kind of had to train myself to to kind of just be okay with. And I think when you get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm settled in. I know what this show is. I think it's rewarding.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a a certain level of it that I think just comes down to the fact that I like this show enough to be okay with the fact that during, you know, these quieter moments, I'm not, I'm not waiting for something to happen. I'm not asking, okay, great. When are we going to get to this? Um, you know, is something going to happen because I've got a doctor's appointment or something to get to, and I need to know if I should just turn this off now or, you know, that's, that's not the case. I think that The simple fact is that these quiet moments are made equally as important um, to, you know, say what, you know, what the show is trying to say, to say those things. So, yeah, really, really good stuff. Just loving it. Just loving it. I also am just loving
0: it. Um, I think as far as our thumbs are concerned, I think this was a big old two out of two emphatic
1: thumbs up for me. What about you? Where are your thumbs at? I'm, I'm right there with you. Big, big thumbs up. I'm just happy about it. Hell yeah. An enthusiastic thumbs up
0: from both of us here. So let's go ahead and dive on into the episode. Uh, The episode begins with a conversation uh, between Nimic and Cassian, uh, where Nimic is sort of wrestling with this idea that Cassian is a mercenary uh, and he doesn't really have the conviction that Nimic does. But then also kind of coming to terms with the, the, the notion that, well, you're here. You know, you're on our side. What is the utility of a mercenary in a rebellion and are they useful to us? And he ultimately kind of comes on the side of, Well, you you know, you're you're not really playing by the rules. You're playing by your own rules, and we are adapting. The Empire isn't adapting, they're not playing by any rules, so you are of use to us and we're going to use you as long as you are, you know, contributing to this cause. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about this. Idea, this conversation between Nimic and Cassian, and sort of this idea of the willingness to win. In, in what way? What do you mean the willingness to win? The willingness, in the sense that Nimic is kind of abandoning his own sense of morality in a, and not an extreme way, not that he's like willing to do terrible, horrible shit, but this idea of initially he was hesitant to allow Cassian to, to be in this mission or maybe thought he would act a certain way. But when this truth is actually presented to right. him, he kind of is like, well, well, you know, I'm dealing with the hand that I'm dealt here and he sort of sacrifices that sense of morality that he has ultimately to, you know, uh,
1: achieve victory in this mission. Well, that's the interesting thing about Nemec's character is that he's he's one of those guys that you, you know, you t- you're talking to somebody and like they're thinking out loud, they ask you a question, but they kind of answer their own question because they're just thinking. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of how I see this, where Nemec is... A really interesting perspective here in this show. Um, it's it's one of those things you don't often see of a character that is sort of asking questions for the audience that they're not thinking of. A lot of times you'll see something where it's like, yeah, this character is kind of explaining everything that's going on, and they're explaining why certain things are happening, and we have to catch the audience up to speed. Nemec, as a sort of as a perspective on the protagonist's side, is almost, you know, just as, as Cassian is presented with these, these struggling, you know, thoughts or troubling thoughts, you know, of his morality, we're kind of thinking, okay, we're watching this, at least this is kind of how I operated watching this episode, we're watching this and knowing that we're watching the good guys right? You know, like, right, right. Like that's, that's the whole thing is we don't, we wouldn't really take a second to question that. Um, and the fact that we are sort of looking at a stage of the rebellion that we don't know anything, hardly anything about um, at this point and seeing things of, okay, what are we, you know, what are, how far are we willing to go for these certain things obviously we have a lot of other characters that are asking those questions of how far is one willing to go um, to to make that, you know, make a sacrifice for that victory. It's interesting, though, that's a long way to say. It's interesting, though, that, that I think Nemec is sort of in that place of having his doubts, as he says, but sort of coming to his own rationale about it. Um, and this is something that struck me as a little bit funny is that a conversation that we have witnessed going into this already is that everyone has their own rebellion and what an interesting thought to then take into, okay, great, but what if you're just doing it for the money? Right. And, you know, is that in any way a rebellion? Is that, you know, are, are you sufficiently providing to the cause kind of capital C cause, um, of, being a rebel in your own way by just doing something for yourself. And I think Nemec and myself would argue, yeah, kind of, you know? Um, So it's interesting because those are questions you don't really consider in terms of, yeah, what's the rebellion like? You're just like, oh yeah, they're the good guys, you know, but presented with a little bit more complexities within these characters makes things different. And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's also... It's it's a conversation that's been happening in Star Wars for a long time. It's like the first one of the, like the first idea that's, that's Han's arc in the first movie is that he is there for the money. He is there not really for the fame and the glory or even this idealistic crusade. And he's just there to get his pay and get out of here. Um, I think that that's an interesting question to ask of like, well, what if Han stuck around? Like, and, but was still just there for the money, like was still just there for like a little bit longer or that's something that, you know, uh maybe was known earlier on is that he's here for the money, he'll do this mission, and then he's just going to get out of here. And, and, you know, like what is what is kind of the moral quandary that some of these other rebel soldiers who aren't there for the money or maybe you're not even really getting paid in a direct way, but are there for these idealistic reasons? How do they respond to this and what is their rationale? Do they feel comfortable going into battle with these with these people who are you know, next to them, or, you know, or, or the people that are having their back, so to speak, um, do they think that they're going to cut and run? Uh, which is something that we see directly pay off in this episode is that it is kind of a 50 50 kind of coin flip in a way of, well, we have this mercenary and they can either act in this way or they can act in this way. I think it's a really fascinating conversation. And I also think it's kind of a real world uh, discussion, too, to where it's like, well, I, I it just makes me think of like, the, the, the military in the in the in in a real sense is that you do have some people who are there because they uh, have these idealistic reasons or they want to fight for freedom or fight for their country or, or or whatever, you know, have you. And then you have a lot of people who are there because they had nowhere else to go. You know, they didn't have the grades in high school. They don't have the money to go to college. They don't really have a lot of opportunities ahead of them. So they go to the military in a sense because it's a job. You know, um, I think that that's a really fascinating real world conversation conversation that is kind of being adapted uh in a different way uh to 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 this uh to this uh, obviously uh, uh sci-fi fantasy sort of lens. So I think it's a really nice mixture of sort of the realism that we're seeing in the show while still maintaining these ideas that are pretty evergreen but also like the foundation of Star Wars. Like I said, that the Han I, the Han Solo idea is there from day 1, but I think that the show explores that in a new, uh, in a fresh way. And I think that this conversation that we see between Nimic and Cassian is something that is obviously going to impact Cassian's willingness to join a rebellion, seeing somebody that spoiler alert, you know, sacrifices at all for this cause that they believe. And I think that this idea of, this sacrificing of your own sort of moral compass in a way to achieve this victory or taking those small sacrifices or those kind of baby steps to where eventually you look around and you're like what have I what have I, what have I done you know <laughs> I think it is ultimately going to lead up to somebody or really pair well with somebody like Saw Gerrera, who we know is going to be in this series of course um, who is kind of the epitome of especially towards the end of his life as far as look at everything that they have given up for the cause uh, you know body included but is their soul also a part of that as well um so i think firmly yeah the rebels are still the good guys as far as like what we see yeah uh, even throughout this episode which i'm excited to kind of talk about the the moral quandary of that as well um but i i, I think that the show is exploring this interesting gray area within the rebellion and how these different soldiers kind of view one another
1: yeah, if you were to tell me that this show would not only include Saw Gerrera, but make his philosophy uh, stretched out and, you know, more poignant to every other character, man, I would have told you, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no way. There's no way, Jose. But that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of what we're heading into, at least, is, you know, from that point on, what. What do you do? you know how is the empire gonna react, and how is that in turn going to make the the rebellion sort of rise to prominence and is that going to be an opportunity for you know a little bit more drastic measures that we might see? who knows so interesting kind of uh kind of questions here, especially like you said, pointing to Sagarera of that you know we're we're willing to to draw blood for this we're we're willing to you know make big sacrifices. And also we're willing to hurt you. Um, just as, I mean, if you're looking at it from everyone's own rebellion, revenge is, if revenge is enough, then okay, what group of people are you going to be, you know, gathering together? What might that look like? And how does Mon Mothma in her more diplomatic sense tie into that? Ah, so good. So much good stuff. Wait.
0: yeah and it's it's something that star wars has has discussed a lot in in recent years i think of the last jedi especially with dj and rose and kind of what they mean for finn's character and how Sorry, that you impacts said, you said who who and rose dj i do not remember that character and uh we'll have to just move right along um but i think it also is is also uh kind of parallels well also with with jen and in her her arc in that we eventually see or will see in rogue one how cassian is able to to impact her choices there and then how kind of also stems from Luthen real who offers cassian to quote unquote give it up all for something real which obviously we see cassian do so seeing those baby steps along the way of you know Cassian instead of just you know living to survive living to just continue you know living his own sort of lifestyle eventually getting to the point where he is actively putting himself in danger to sacrifice for something bigger than himself I think seeing these baby steps along the way um, is really fascinating and I think that Nimic and his involvement with Cassian could be a an eventual sort of spark that will eventually kind of lead to this overall changing of of hearts so I'm really fascinated to see Uh, Cassian continue on this journey both in this season as well as next season Uh, so we cut to the commandant of this base uh, who discusses his uh, perception of the Aldani people uh, with this visiting engineer from Coruscant Uh, this is that scene that we saw in the trailer of the series to where they're both sitting uh, sipping on their calf their Star Wars calf or their uh, coffee mugs uh, as I am recording this episode Uh, but yeah this was a really uh, fruitful fascinating conversation to to really great scenes, uh, one after another, uh, because in this conversation, they discuss their plans to use the Donny people to construct an imperial airfield, um, eventually denying them the right uh, to conduct this ceremonial tradition. So I want to talk about this conversation, but just also what this episode has to say about this idea, uh, idea of imperialism and how in pursuit of achieving this you know uh, galaxy wide empire how it is impacting the people who are indigenous to this location and the donny people specifically
1: well that's it's kind of something that uh, there's there's a line that said um I can't remember exactly what it is but I know the context is talking about um you know how they're going to be how they're going to be utilizing uh, and utilizing is the friendly version uh, of the word, uh, utilizing the indigenous people to their advantage. Uh, and the conversation sort of ends with like, I mean, they're not like, do you think they're going to be OK with that? And they're like, you, do you think they have a choice? Like having that, be you know, looking at the empire being in a place of having that mindset where looking at something much earlier, something like the Bad Batch, where you're sort of seeing those hints of like wanting every citizen to have uh, an Imperial identification number and doing these random stop and checks and, uh, you know, having gateway security, leaving planets and whatnot. You look at those things and it's like, yeah, that's cool because I can see, I can see, you know, that's a little bit regime-esque, right? And then you jump to something like this, and you're like, wow, we're really all the way there, aren't we? We are, you know, conquering, enslaving, and eradicating. Um, it's something that, like, again, we're we've seen the empire in a number of different positions and places and times. Um, and looking at it now, and just asking, you know, when did it, like, when did it get to that point for certain places, especially in places where they've said, okay there used to be 50,000 people that come to this festival. And now, now that we're here, uh, it's only about a hundred, right? Um, seeing the effect on that and, and saying like, wow, it really used to be this one thing. It used to be not that harmful. And now we are at this point, um, shows a lot of, you know, sort of the, okay, great. We know that about the empire, right? That's not, that's not news. But you take a look at the people that are directly involved, like the commandant and like uh, the people at ISB and okay, great. How do they feel about that? Because we're spending an awful lot of time with these characters and how do they feel about those things? Because that kind of gauges how the character fits into their respective relationships with, we you know, either with the protagonist or with each other. Um, and that just makes for really, really really deep kind of uh, connections to whatever you think it's saying, because there's a lot, I think. Um, But it's, it's interesting for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about with, with bad batch as well as other star Wars uh, properties is that this idea of sort of the, 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 Bo- the the frog in the the boiling water uh, that if you throw a frog in boiling water it's going to jump out but if you put a frog in water and just slowly crank up the heat it's going to eventually kill it and that idea I think is further emphasized in this show especially so not only is it is it compelling to see the eventual oppression of the empire and the it become more obvious um, in in a lot of ways. But I think especially the way that this show is portraying this idea is kind of multifaceted but also very applicable to the real world. Um these indigenous people, the Donny people, I was very compelled by the fact that the Empire sees them and how they are forced to engage with them to 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 view this uh, phenomenon the, the what the the Donny people refer to as the eye that one, there's a lot of Imperial soldiers who are stationed on this base who want to see the eye. I thought that that was something really fascinating, that they are oppressing these people, oppressing this planet, using it to their own will. But as long as they can, you know, kind of indulge in the same traditions and in, in a way that the Donny people are, they're willing to cooperate and they're willing to uh, kind of show face in a way that they... They, they show them trading animal hides and furs in a way, and it just really seemed all completely ceremonial to where the Empire is going to eventually get to a point to where they're not going to be trading furs, and they're not going to be going through all these sort of exchanging of pleasantries, and they're just going to step wherever they want to step, and they, if they end up squashing somebody, that's just what's going to happen. Um, not only is that very... Um, uh, compelling in that sort of you know uh, slowing sort of shadow of of you know power throughout the galaxy, but also it is very real world and very applicable to what we've seen throughout history, especially the imagery of using the exchanging of pelts and whatnot with the indigenous people. As far as if you're growing this empire and you're pushing people who are indigenous to this land out and further away, or even worse, using them as labor for your very growth of this empire, like that is something that I was not necessarily surprised because Star Wars has always been very political, but I was just, I was, uh, I thought it was, was compelling in a way. And, and also just, I was, I was glad that Star Wars continues this trend and continues this idea that George was very, uh, very openly putting at the forefront of his storytelling and talking about imperialism and how it affects those, uh, both in this fantasy world, but also, um, in our real world. Um, and I, I, I just found this idea endlessly compelling and, and also this concept that the Empire and in this very conversation that we see here between uh, the, the commandant and this engineer is that he's kind of like, ugh, I hate having to deal with these people. Like they smell. Uh, he, he reduces them to just being kind of simpletons uh, and is just like, well, good thing we only have to deal with them once every three years uh, to where the Empire is on this planet Daily, probably inconveniencing the Donny people and daily impacting how they uh, how they are able to live their own lives and and what you know we see in last week's episode they had this ceremonial ground that they were using for target practice and this just continuing idea of they're gonna stomp whoever they want to stomp and you can either get out of the way um, or kind of face the consequences here uh, and I think that this conversation that we see here is just such a great way to demonstrate. This idea uh and the, the relationship between the Empire, but specifically the Commandant and how he views the
1: Donny people. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious. Remind me again. Uh this episode came out, let's see, this past Wednesday, correct? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a holiday um this past Monday, right? What I'm I'm trying to remember again. <laughs> started with a um started with a C. It was something uh Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Christmas. Christmas. It was Christmas. (laughs) No, that's the whole thing was I was like, and I had just had a conversation about, about this with, with somebody that, you know, we have, moved away from calling it Columbus day. Right. Yeah. Um, and which is hilarious because uh, my calendar on my iPhone says that it is both Columbus day and indigenous day. Yeah, People's mine does too do on the Android. <laughs> so, it's just
0: like, we're not gonna, you could call
1: it whatever the hell you want to call it. Exactly. It's like, way I, to
0: take a stand Android. Way to I go. Just, yeah.
1: I just think, you know, having that, having a couple conversations that day, um, with a few people of like, why are we like, we're not supposed to indulge this person. He's a horrible person. Uh, And also, you know, just a lot, a lot of other things, right? Being able to have that day, literally a day where that is on the forefront of most people's minds, uh because it's like oh crap u p s isn't open today i um, how am i gonna yeah. how am I gonna get my my package delivered whatever Sh- sure um and it's mostly an inconvenience on that part, and then we go to watching this show where we see a representation of what that may have been like totally. um and there's an amazing moment with with the the trading of the pelts uh where their conversation is being translated. Um, there's, there's a, I, I'm pretty sure it's Lieutenant Gorn. That's, that's yep. sort of the interpreter, the, the translator, um, between the commandant and the leader of the Donny, Um, and he, so that the, the Donny guy says something, um, yeah. about, well, it's actually sort of reminiscent of the, uh, the, the ax forgets, but the tree remembers, mm-hmm. um, and Lieutenant Gorn chooses not to say that to the, the Imperial guy. Right. Uh, and you can see the Donnie, the Donnie guy is like, that's not what I said. <laughs> you know, yeah. he like gives him a look where like, I, it, I love that. He like knows just enough basic to look at him
0: just kind of like, well, that's not right. I know that's not right. You know? <laughs> right. So it's
1: sort of, the, you know, we're looking at this and saying like, oh yeah, this historically kind of translates and this and that, but we're sort of looking at it from this out of focus lens. We're we're far away. The you know we're not directly interacting with this. But there's moments like that that say no. These you know these people that you are that you are calling filth and calling smelly and saying are an inconvenience to you. Yeah, they're a lot smarter than you think. Right. Um, And again, this is mirrored in a lot of other places. Whether it's you know stuff that happens on Lothal with with rebels or on Endor with the Ewoks. It's yeah. This is through and through sort of the, the uh I guess the, the, the passive themes of why, why things like this are important in star Wars. Yeah. I think with ideas of like, as
0: far as the, I could see people kind of preferring this approach rather than the Ewoks or something like that to where like this is the text like whereas the Ewoks is a little bit more subtext I will I argue not at not super subtle either like it's 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 pretty obvious but it took a lot of people a very long time not to know, not to know <laughs> that George was talking about like Vietnam um with a lot of that stuff but to me it's like no, it's all gravy you know it's all it's all dealing with the same kind of stuff it's all reinforcing the same same ideas, but um, I just love that this series is continuing, you know, George's, you know, kind of his own goals and his own manifesto of what Star Wars is, uh, what it should be, who it's for and its delivery of a lot of these ideas. And I think, you know, what better show than to to reinforce a lot of these ideas than Andor. So I was, again, not surprised because we've seen these ideas echoed in a lot of other Star Wars um, material here, but I was just very glad to see this idea, uh, a very topical one for sure, um,
1: brought back up in this series. Yeah, that's that's something to look forward to. Again, we've pulled a lot of different connections here and there, Um, and this one is has come up before with Cassian's past. I wonder if that's something that we'll take a look at again, but I'm excited to keep picking out these tiny little things that I can say, oh, that makes me think of that. And, uh, you know, just here and there, there's a lot of them there. There really yeah.
0: is. Exactly. Um, And uh, speaking of the Commandant Noah, we get to spend some time with his family, who is also stationed on this planet during this time. Uh, We get to see his relationship with his family, their perception of this planet, his own perception of this planet. And I just love that everybody involved is like, God, this place sucks. Like, (laughs) Maybe we can go somewhere else. And I just love that uh, his, you know, like the Commandant is just like, well, maybe if I get this promotion, I could be transferred to this other planet. Or you know, it's something that you and I have theorized a lot about Star Wars. It's just kind of our own head canon. Is that there's got to be this sense of jealousy to where this you know there's got to be Imperials who are like, God, I work on Mustafar. This fucking sucks. Like <laughs> my, my buddy works in Scarif and he's on a beach all day. Like I hate
1: this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. hilarious because aldani is a really pretty place. It's, mm-hmm. it's great, and like I said, we talked about it last episode, There's the the dude on the bridge is like enjoying the view. He's literally like, he's got 100%. his arms resting on the rail, he's crossing his legs at the ankles, he's daydreaming or whatever, and some people are like, you know, God, I hate dealing with these people, and it's yeah. blah, 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 whatever. Ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like think, you could be on Mimbin, you know, in the mud and <laughs> the in the muck and yeah, I, yeah. As far as uh, star Wars planets to be stationed on, it's not that bad. Like, come on, quick, quit complaining here. We,
1: we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of stinkers. We've seen a lot of real stinkers. A hundred percent. Yeah. As far as it goes,
0: like, I want to travel to this place. Like, where was this filmed? Like I want to go yeah, yeah, This looks yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but uh, in this scene, we also get to see in a, in a, you know, direct uh, kind of, personification of that line from the trailer and also prior in the series to where Andor refers to the empires uh, uh fat and satisfied and we see yep. this commandant who has eventually outgrown his uniform uh and his you know uh, he he gives it the classic has, has this it, thing shrunk yeah <laughs> he, yeah
1: he blames it on whoever put it away last he yeah goes, yeah this wasn't stored properly exactly yeah. and he's like struggling to
0: uh, to put on this this belt and it seems like he's been um, uh, pretty content with this position and uh, yeah I don't really know if uh, what's what, once you become an imperial officer like do you have to do you, do you have to go to workouts or is it just kind of like no you've reached it you've done it granted a lot of the imperial officers are like old men like I know that we've seen Tarkin in the comics is like surprisingly ripped like has like that old man strength or something mm. um, but yeah it seems like this guy it's, it's maybe Maybe been a little bit since he's done his, uh, his, uh, you know, uh, put some, put some uh, pushups in the gym, you know, a few too many
1: Toronto raps. If you ask me,
0: Hey, I just went to, to Disneyland and still hits still delicious, <laughs> still delicious. So I understand, you watch uh, your
1: belt, watch your belt,
0: Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got elastic pants on right now, so I'm not, I'm not too concerned at all.
1: No, he's not. Uh,
0: No, not at all. So in this episode, uh, of course, we do see the the playing out of this long awaited heist, something that we've been building to for a few weeks now. Uh, Cassian and his team are posing as Imperial soldiers who are overseeing the uh, Aldani and Imperial transaction of these pelts. Um, This all was very tense to me. Uh, We see these, you know, kind of whispered conversations. And um, of course, there's some calm trouble trouble where people are feeling hesitant about this mission. And, you know, that classic Star Wars, uh, one of those like, you know, kind of uh, tropes that we see in Star Wars a lot to where people are dressed up in these disguises and, you know, wearing these Imperial disguises. Obviously, we see Cassian do this in Rogue One. Uh, I've seen it in A New Hope as well as a number of other places. Uh, but I thought the buildup to this eventual heist that we see uh was super, super tense.
1: Yeah, there's there's something about it where. We talked about Ocean's Eleven uh, last episode as well Um, and, you know, what makes a heist really great and, you know, what are the different components? How should this play out? Something Mm -hmm. that I always notice uh, about why something like Ocean's Eleven is so, uh, so exhilarating is because there's moments here and there where things almost go wrong, right? But it's like, oh, quickly saved by, you know... Seth green, I guess. Um, or I'm pretty sure he's an ocean's 11. No, he's an Italian job. I don't know who I'm thinking of. Uh, but you're thinking of Seth green from the hit film, the Italian job. Well, that is who I'm thinking of, Uh, but (laughs) (laughs) great heist movie. Uh, excellent heist movie. Yeah. Anyways, you see these things that are like, they're just on the verge of going wrong. And then finally the ship is righted. Right. Uh, or, or something does go wrong. How do they adapt? And that's what makes it tense. Right. Uh, not all the time because this like for for the the majority of the beginning of this heist uh everything's pretty much going according to plan there's no hiccups there's no like there there's no close calls it's all going to plan but it's still like everyone is on edge everyone is like if this does not go right then we're done for we're all dead nobody's getting mm-hmm. the money the rebellion the rebellion is done for And you feel it like you really, really feel it. And you look at someone like Cassian in his empire disguise. And you're like, yeah, he's, he's cool. He's calm. He's ready to do this. And you look at someone like Nemec. And this is kind of the whole point of his, I think the whole point of his dialogue is that he is the one that is, that most needs this to go right. And he is the one that looks the most out of place. Uh, And, is so vulnerable like a little he's a little sheepy you know he's he's a little sheepy going into a into a house of wolves and (laughs) you're just like oh my god please please nothing happened nothing happened and that's the feeling is like oh my god i hope nothing bad happens and nothing Mm -hmm. does but the whole you know the whole time you're worrying that something is going to go horribly wrong it's crazy it's crazy how well that feeling is communicated from the characters through the screen to me sitting with my Taco Bell. 100%. Hundred percent.
0: I think the the reason that this episode is so tense is because is is doing part for a, a few components. That you're right. When we see this, uh, what are the hiccups? You know, obviously things are going to happen in these in these heist movies. If it all just went super well, then what would kind of be the fun in that? You want that that sense of tension throughout this mission. Uh, we see Vel, who is like very hesitant to of, like officially start this mission to a point to where it's like there's no going back. In the way that I I, I love the way that this episode demonstrates that visually is that there's that beat to where she, uh, is, is sitting by the rail with, uh, uh, uh Senta and, uh, she is kind of like, okay, you know, are we really doing this? And what kind of propels them into this official kind of kicking off of this mission is that she like leaps off of the rail and they rappel down this dam. Like it's, it's really this sense of, you know, you know, you, you can't go back now. Like you've, you're really into it now. Uh, and I think that this, you know, this kind of, uh, a leap of faith in the literal kind of visual way, uh, I found to be really compelling. So I, I think that that kind of that brief pause before of like, okay, are we really going to do that? gives a sense uh, of tension and danger throughout it. But I think in addition to that, the audience has been kind of kept in the dark a little bit to a degree of like what this mission actually is to, so to see this mission, like, at least in the initial stages go well as far as like what's their plan here oh they're going to take the commandant and his family and his child and they're going to hold him at gunpoint like that's the plan you know (laughs) like it's not like it's like oh crap something's going wrong okay well i'm making an audible and you know this is 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 kind of the situation that we're in now it's like no that's what the plan was and i think that kind of throwing us in the deep end in a sense and seeing the the so-called heroes the so-called rebels in this morally gray area um, I think really gives it the sense of thrill and like surprise and suspense of like, oh my God, like what are we going to do? In addition to the fact that not everybody who is on this team is in it because they believe in the cause and has this so-called moral, you know, uh, moral high ground in a way to where some people are here for, for you know, uh, pretty dark reasons or, or looking to fight the things that they hate as Rose would call it to where um, you look at. You look at uh 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 uh, I'm Blaken. I'm Blaken. What's his name? Skeen. Uh Skeen, yeah you look at Skeen, and he's there for revenge and there for these dark reasons and is he gonna be like great i'm killing your wife you know like s- something like that like seeing these rebels in this precarious situation i was just like kind
1: of on pins and needles well i mean let's call it what it is this is a robbery this is yeah. it's straight up a robbery mm-hmm. uh and it is not kind at all uh i will say i just recently watched the town for the first time Absolute Killer. banger, um, but yeah, same sort of like, and I also recently watched Hell or High Water. What What is with, oh, what, what is with even these- Even more of a banger. I know. What is One with of the these, best. These robbery movies, but that's the whole thing is like you're watching this thing and typically you would skin this as, yeah, these guys aren't really doing- something that I would support, right? And so, again, you're posing that question of what does the beginning of the rebellion look like before it had a more diplomatic uh, approach to things? Uh, It wasn't war. It wasn't, you know, small cells taking, you know, little chunks out of the empire. It was a big robbery, you know, and uh, as we'll see by the end of the episode, you know, it's called an attack. It's straight up an attack, and that's not... That's not an imperial, uh, coloring of what happened. It's, it's sort of the truth. Um, so it's very, very interesting because, you know, we would look at, we would look at something like the battle of Hoth and say, yeah, the, the Imperials would probably call that, uh, you know, a rebel attack. We would, we would look at that as an, as an audience member and call it, you know, some sort of retaliation or defense or struggle to survive, maybe uh, something like that. But this is really an attack. And so it calls into question, you know, where do we see the rebellion start? Is it with, you know, is the biggest jump of the rebellion literally jumping the commandant uh, and nearly getting everybody killed Uh, by having this standoff. It's crazy. It's wild.
0: Yeah. And I think that this is something that you had mentioned kind of this imperial coloring of things, which is something that we've seen before. We saw it in Obi-Wan Kenobi. We've seen it in Rogue One. Uh, is that like this thing will go down and they go, oh, it was a mining accident or they label it as something else in a way that, you know, is uh, we might have even seen it in this show in Andor because they talk about a, a mining accident that that happened uh, with with Andor's family. But that's still kind of like we don't we don't really know if that was a mining accident or what is the situation there. So we'll definitely learn that uh, as the series goes on. But this idea of the empire does some bad things and they choose to label it as something else to kind of cover them up. I think it's so interesting to see this thing that they don't have to take this much of a stretch to like kind of twist in a way that maybe turns the Senate against the rebels or turns the, uh, uh turns the, the people of the galaxy against the rebels. Is that like at this time, yes, the empire is in power, but like we see in, in a new hope, like the, you know, they talk about sympathy for the rebellion in the Senate, you know? So it seems like the Senate still has this, some sort of a push and play or pull and play here. And I think it's maybe things like this that maybe turns to some senators as far as like, well, no, those guys are terrorists or those guys are, you know, they, they took that poor guy's family and held a gun to a a kid's head, you know, like something like that, I think is just really fascinating to see that kind of stuff, uh, uh, portrayed on screen. Um, for me, I obviously am still not at the point to where I'm like, well, let's hear out the Imperials. Maybe these rebels aren't so, aren't so clean. I think it's meant to put us in a, in a space to where we're asking, is this too far? What is too far? Yes, we want to rebel and, and you know, have uh, this liberation of the galaxy, but what are the things that you are willing to sacrifice uh, in an effort to pursue that? It's it's made pretty clear that this is something that is this morally gray area um, in the show. And it's also just super dark for Star Wars, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we will find out how far is too far as soon as our main man saw himself gets into this show uh for once, I guess. Uh, Saw so, so would shoot that kid, hundred percent. Oh uh, yeah, no, that, on sight. That, that's like <laughs> that's the bargaining chip. Is I I just shot your kid. Are you going to do what I? Are you going to do what I ask? I mean, yeah. granted, he'd shoot him in the legs, oh, um, for sure. Yeah, but that's that's the kind of thing I would expect from Saw Gerrera, and. Who Knows maybe we'll have that question answered pretty soon. He's ruthless, he
0: is ruthless. Uh, and then, uh, this during this heist, something else that contributes to this feeling so tense in a weird way is that it is intercut with the Aldani ceremony, uh, and them kind of preparing uh, to, to see the eye. Uh, did this kind of intercutting between these two scenes and these two locations work for you? Did it make you more tense, or were you kind of like, no, go back to the heist? I want to see the heist.
1: Um, it in a funny way, reminded me of like some of those memes that you see of like, of like Return of the Jedi, where it's like Luke holding his, his father's dying body. And then like everyone on Endor is just partying or, (laughs) you know, the Phantom Menace Qui-Gon is dead. And then, you know, all the, all the Gungans are just like, woohoo. Yeah. Um, Stuff like that, that I think is like, this is Hilarious, but at the same time, you know you're you're looking at two different worlds that are quite literally like taking place next to each other. Um, They're happening at at the very same time on the same scale, and it sort of gives you this tracking of okay. What's the next step in the ceremony? They have all these steps. There's, you know, there's clothing, there's jewelry, there's, you know, there's a a pyre, there's dancing, there's food, there's drinks, you know, and they, but it's all very sequential that leads up to this phenomenon, leads up to this, this insane, spectacular event. Um, And so, you know, while we're watching this, we're kind of seeing this plan laid out that still again feels very you know, okay, we made it through this step, what's the next one? we made it through that step, what's the next one, and you know is is kind of chugging along at the same rate as this ceremony. I think that it's it's pretty interesting it doesn't you know maybe it's meant to feel like it's you know this one thing is happening and they're able to do this because there's other this other distraction going on or whatever. maybe it's just that surface level, but I don't think that it is. Um, so for me, works really well because they're not, I mean, it's not like we're taking a break from the heist to, to see, you yeah. know, what, you know, we're not going to learn a song with them. Um. So I think it's, I think it's just all right with me. I think it's great. Yeah. I think in this scene,
0: not only does it work well because we get to see like you had said the sequential order of this heist and like okay well they're in like the initial ceremony stages you know that there's that ticking clock to where this thing is going to happen this phenomenon will happen but are they going to be able to escape in time are they going to be able to acquire all the credits that they need in order to make this mission worthwhile before you know it's maybe too dangerous to escape um during the 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 during the storm um but then also, I think it's nice to see we are rebellion. We are rebellion uh, in a way that we can get these credits to form this larger rebellion to protect people or liberate these very people you know like cutting between them to kind of remind us like who this is all for uh, it is for these people who are directly being impacted by the empire who are being displaced by the empire who are being forced to work for the empire so kind of like Showing us, yeah, I've got this blaster to this kid's head, but look what we're fighting for. It's this really great way to demonstrate this cause in a tangible way and kind of force the audience to come to terms with like, well, is this okay? Like, yeah, remember, remember the, 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 you know, the guy at the ceremony who was telling off the, the Imperial officer, this is for him. You know, he would love this. He would get a kick out of this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he would think this is great. Um, So not only does it make things like more tense in that way. But also, I just think that it's it's this this great way to, to track this heist, have that sense of a ticking clock, but then also remind us as like, well, this is why we're fighting.
1: Yeah, that's that's I think that's a great way to look at it, because we don't really get a whole lot of that. I think the most that we get of, you know, at least a feeling like that is sort of the special edition ending of Return of the Jedi, where we see all of the planets that are celebrating and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that's. But I mean, that's kind of it. So I I think that's a really good point.
0: Yeah, this scene really worked for me. It was super, super tense. Um, During this mission, though, uh, the commandant sees that Gorn is the one kind of leading this mission or was the inside man. Uh, And he says that he deserves to be hanged for his crimes, to which Gorn replies that he deserves worse for having served under him for seven years. Um, So, yeah, I think that this is something that is a great sort of um, we see a piece of Gorn's rebellion. We see the tail end of that, but I think that this line suggests that Gorn has done so much worse in that this being this, this final step that he chooses. Um, we've seen a lot of Imperial officers uh, defect to the empire, but I love that in this, there's so much unsaid as far as like, well, what has he done? He says that he deserves worse than death. So what was that thing that Gorn kind of woke him up to joining this, you know very early stages of the rebel alliance
1: right that's it's that's an interesting question that you know we know at least that his reason for you know for his distaste for the empire is is 100% personal uh and i'm sure that that's true at first um so it sort of raises the question you know do you want to see this character as you know he's rebelling Uh, after, you know, realizing all these things that he's done, or Mm -hmm. maybe he had a a distaste for the Empire and couldn't, you know, do anything about it, couldn't get out, and still was forced to do these things. You know, those kind of questions, and even uh, earlier before we learn, uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name that's uh, a a part of their disguised squad, um, that he used to be a stormtrooper. That raises so many questions of, okay, what was that thing? And we get some of that, you know, in uh, someone like Finn or even, I, I hate to say it, but in Star Wars Resistance, uh, a character that eventually joins the First Order, knowing what those things are that say, okay, when when do you start to realize that there's a bad taste in your mouth and what are you going to do about it? Um, exactly. Lo- love characters like that. I will always love characters like that here in Star Wars.
0: Yeah. And, and obviously, Finn is a, is a great example of we get to see that sort of catalyst moment. But I, I think this line has so much kind of darkness associated with it of saying that he deserves Scary. worse than the hang. It's like, well, geez, what is what happened under this guy? Um, and uh, the commandant seems to kind of have what's coming to him because the dude has a heart attack. <laughs> he hey, just man. keels over. So I'll say uh,
1: it. I'll say it one too many ronto raps
0: yeah the ronto rap seem to have really caught up with him after doing manual labor for no less than 10 minutes probably uh <laughs> the dude
1: completely kills over so uh that sucks too, too bad for that guy yeah. i i really <laughs> did think that this was going to be like a ha got him you know like he's like oh oh my heart oh i got to i got to sit down oh there's a blaster in my boot <laughs> You know, yeah, 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 but he, no, he just straight up has a heart attack. He just dies. (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, a little, this is a a blip on the, uh, on the itinerary for these guys, uh, for, Mm. for Cassian squad, uh, which I think is hilarious. Um, really doesn't slow them down all too much in my opinion. No, he deserved it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. uh if this guy is
0: like, uh I I I deserve worse than death for what I did under your command and this guy has a heart attack. I think he probably got off pretty easy.
1: Yes. Um,
0: but uh yeah, I think it also does kind of give our heroes an easy out of kind of like, oh great, well we didn't have
1: to kill this guy. No survivors anyway. Okay, also, well he's dead, so there's yeah. there's never been like um well, I guess Padme kind of counts, but there's never been like a medical emergency in Star Wars, you know. I, am, am I, am I missing anything? I'm trying to think. Um, you know,
0: like uh yeah I mean I don't know if there's a guys like there's been no strokes or heart attacks or like concussions or anything. Usually Star Wars isn't that sort of like real world. It's like, oh I'm missing half my body. You know? Right, <laughs> right. Like my legs got cut yeah. off. You you're, know, <laughs> you're in a Wampa
1: cave and you just got absolutely clobbered in the skull and you know that sort of thing i mean i boba the book of boba fett maybe a little bit yeah him and his him and his bacta he gets tussled up a little bit but i mean this is like a medical emergency like this is a get the aed you know and begin cpr i wonder if yeah does bacta fix heart attacks (laughs) i could not i could not imagine that it would honestly
0: yeah, I'm not. I don't think the the commandant is gonna make it through this one. And that kid is um uh, gonna grow up uh, uh with a uh, with a uh, without a dad. So um yeah, he's he nice. might turn into an imperial. Yeah, he might he might be the <laughs> next. You know, he's gonna fight what he hates and join the empire. Who knows? And or that, maybe he's and like that well, kid yeah. was
1: Lieutenant Hux. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, during this heist, uh, the crew is interrupted when uh, Imperial soldiers discover the heist, uh, which results in a firefight. Um, and I want to talk about that this series has noticeably not had stormtroopers in this and i think it these these troopers that show up and in you know uh, this firefight begins could have easily been stormtroopers what do you think the the power is of having this choice to one not have stormtroopers up until maybe a certain point in this series or also being able to see these soldiers and see their face do you think that that adds a level of tension to this scene
1: I think that it does in a way that like, I I look at this and I think to myself, okay, it put myself in, in Tony Gilroy's shoes. Uh, and you know, looking at this franchise is how would I do this? Um, and to me, Tony Gilroy doesn't feel like the, you know, faceless robot army type, um, adversary. Right. um, and human, human interaction, especially with combat, uh, is something that he, is, he excels at. So you look at that and I say, yeah, that makes sense. On sort of the Star Wars side of things, I do feel like there's an importance to the fact that what we have seen of the Empire so far is more along the lines of, like not not being drafted right you have sort of sort of the you know oh i had to become a a stormtrooper and fight in the imperial army and this this and that obviously we know that that exists because there we've already learned of a stormtrooper or former stormtrooper in their crew um however the interactions that we've had with whether it's people in the imperial security bureau or with you know, people elsewhere in the Empire, these are all people that feel like they are there because it was kind of their, like, call to action. It was like their destiny was to work for the Empire, and it's what they're doing because they want to do it. Uh, That's the sort of the feeling that you get from the Empire in this series, and so every face that you see, every person that you look at uh, that is working for the Imperials is somebody that is in opposition to the rebellion. And it's just sort of assumed. um, I would say that that's not a stretch, um, but that's sort of the feeling that, that I get from, from a choice like that.
0: Yeah. I think it also really, you know, just kind of, culturally stormtroopers are not necessarily like taking the most serious uh you know like it's been a one of the longest running jokes in star wars is that you know obi-wan says that they're such good shots and they're so precise but they can't seem to hit anything ha, ha ha you know like there's that kind of level uh to things so that i think it could be really powerful that when stormtroopers eventually do show up they could be shown in a new context and it's like oh no the serious guns have arise arrived i think that that could be really fascinating but I also think that this level of tension is found in seeing their faces here. There's that sense of distrust that's portrayed on their face, of and also like a sense of fear of kind of like, my boss is over there, and he's sweating. He never does that. Oh, God, he's going to have a heart attack. You know there's like <laughs> that level of things. But then also, the series seems to be very interested in exploring who are the people of the rebellion, but also who are the people of the empire? What are the motivating factors that cause these people to rebel? But what also are the motivating factors that cause these people to oppress others? And I think in seeing these soldiers and spending time with them, learning that they want to see the eye, learning that you know they do have this sort of relationship with their superiors. And I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's a really great artistic choice to To show these soldiers' faces, that could not only pay off later to when we eventually see the stormtroopers show up, but also gives a sense of accountability to these soldiers in a way. Uh, I think it's really fascinating.
1: I, I also feel like it, it's worth mentioning, again, going with themes here, um, that Star Wars has done a great job recently of being a little bit more inclusive. Love it. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I don't think that it's unintentional that most of the officers and Imperial agents that we see are white guys. That's just, it's just there. I'm just pointing at it. I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting anything. Draw your own conclusions. But they're mostly white guys so i will
0: i'll say it white guys suck
1: as
0: a white guy we suck we're the yeah. worst not, yeah not,
1: not a great rep not a great rep <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like that what we do in the shadows is like i will not even utter his name it's like i, I don't give a fuck his name is mike <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's how i feel yeah as as a white guy we are the worst so yeah we deserve to be uh, portrayed as the imperial as as the problem i'll say
1: it i'll say it Hey, that's that's the thing. I'm just I'm saying it calls attention to it. It calls attention yeah. to it by seeing by seeing faces. That's it.
0: Yeah, uh and uh it's 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 something that, you know, is a conversation that started with uh the 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 first order uh in being portrayed in The Force Awakens and seeing Finn and I remember people kind of telling on themselves in a funny way to where they're like stormtroopers can't be black and it's like huh Huh. Okay, well, you, you kind of arrived at the same point, but in a really different direction. <laughs> uh, so uh, congrats to you guys. And uh, I wonder if they are upset about this show. Um, but yeah, th- I think it's definitely an artistic choice, one for for the casting reasons, uh, but also having the, the choice to not have them be stormtroopers and to, to show their faces. Uh, I think it's a, a really great one. Um, during the commotion and and uh, the stealing of these credits and, and the firefight and everything, our poor Nimick. You and I suggested it. You and I had uh, hypothesized, as well as a lot of other Star Wars fans, our poor Nimick is gravely injured during the heist where he is crushed by the same credits that he was trying to steal, uh, eventually leading to his demise. But in his final moments, Nimick helps Cassian navigate the storm of the eye during their escape using some old analog tech, something that the Empire really isn't equipped to counteract. So Nimick, we got a poor one out for our boy. We knew it was coming, but it's uh, it's still a
1: bittersweet ending. Still, still hurts. And uh, I will say, I was uh, I, I was fully expecting him to get pieced uh, at the beginning of the heist uh, when there was sort of that standoff. Um, that was my, my expectation. And then he made it through. And then that guy was hiding on the ship. Uh, and then I was like, oh my God, he's going to die. He's going to get shot. He's going to get pieced by this dude. And then he didn't. And then he pieced the dude. And I was like, oh man, he's going to make it. And then he got squished, which is like one of the worst ways to go. Um, got squished. And then even still, I was like, he's not dead. He's not dead yet. He's not dead. We don't see him die. He's not dead. Uh, so really a roller coaster uh of emotions there but of course he had to go he had to go he's the uh he's the call to action for our for our uh, beloved Cassian here um which is just the way it's got to be you know
0: yeah. Uh, I got I'm right there with you. You know, the first stage of grief, uh, is denial and I didn't want it to believe it to be true, but we all, we all knew it was coming for our of sweet course. boy. He's, he's just, he's just too nice. He seemed too nice for this show to where it's like, Oh, there's just no way he's making it through this. And yeah, he he seems to really be maybe that first domino that leads Cassian to this eventual point of sacrificing himself for this, for this larger cause. And there's a, uh, something that Cassian is given that will, that will definitely be uh touching on here. But, um, Yeah, while escaping, uh, we do cut to uh, Sinta, uh, who is still on the planet, still wearing the Imperial uniform, and she is in tears. We don't really see why she's crying. Um, Was this part of the plan to leave her on the planet? Uh, Did they leave her accidentally or on purpose? Uh, Did she also maybe... Kill that family. Uh, do you have any uh, theories? Do you do you do you think that the show could be as dark to kill a woman and child?
1: Uh, I struggle with this because my gut tells me no because it doesn't fully make sense. Um, but the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this show keeps doing things where I'm like, oh. I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know that you could, you know, that Star Wars was going to do that. Um, So truly, who knows? But I will say this. I know why. I know why she's crying. It's because she's definitely left on the planet. She, I think it's definitely part of the plan. And it is less subtle uh, than than most of the suggestions such far uh, that her and Vel um, are somewhat of an item um and that's just gotta suck it's just gotta suck i think that that's plain and simple
0: yeah i think that obviously her being with vel and wondering if she is safe wondering if she got out okay is a part of it she also just killed somebody i'm sure that's probably, a part of it probably. um as far as like you know, did she smoke this family? Yeah. I think it's I think it's possible. I don't personally think that she did. Um, I think that it's very possible that she got close to or was, you know, Blaster raised and then, you know, maybe left. And that's why she's so emotional is kind of wondering, like, look how close she got to making uh, to doing this horrible thing. Uh, I'm going to say that the family is probably still alive. Um, but I do think that it was probably maybe not specifically a part of the plan uh, to to leave her. That just seems so dangerous. Um but I I think it's something that she's going to get off the planet. Okay. I'm not necessarily concerned with her safety, but I think it is the kind of this reflection of like, wow, look what just happened. Like that was, that was so much, you know, I thought it would maybe be easier to do something like this, or I thought it would come easier to do something, but making this literal leap in a sense, you know, look at, look at what everything that just happened. Like we're, we're kind of in it now.
1: Yeah. That's so that's kind of taking that role of, being the one that sort of deals with the, the questions um, like you said um, of, okay, I I hope everything worked out. Um, It's, it's an interesting place. I'm wondering if we'll ever come back to, you know, what ends up becoming of Cinta and even Val, but um, you know, that at least gives you a window into, okay, what, you know, we know what the stakes are, right. Um, But in terms of sort of aftermath, we don't always get a whole lot of aftermath with certain things. And this is one of those, not necessarily loose ends, but it's one of those things that says, yeah, this was as clean as it was going to get. And it still got pretty dirty, you know, Um, which is always very, very interesting
0: yeah yeah um hopefully we will definitely learn uh what becomes of cinta in the coming episodes i would like her to continue to be in the show and i want her and val to get back together come on you know yeah Yeah. definitely want that for sure uh but seeking help and trying to save poor nimic's life they uh go to a four-armed doctor the same one that we saw in the show uh there's a really great moment to where cassian like breaks into the to the medical room and he like puts both of all four of his hands in the air Uh, (laughs) i thought that that was really great but before they were able to do this uh Skeen uh, confides in Cassian, revealing that he intends on stealing the credits that they just stole um, and asks Cassian for his help. Um, this obviously is something that we've seen a lot in Star Wars. Uh, definitely, this uh, theme of greed, uh, of heists gone wrong, backstabbing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Cassian quickly nullifies the situation by completely blowing him away. Um, I kind of wanted to ask Noah, what do you think is the difference uh, between Skeen and Cassian? Both of these characters are in the rebellion for less than you know idealistic reasons. They have their own sense of rebellion and their own sense of of, of why they're in this fight but cassian turns on Skeen and ends his life what do you think is really the key differences between these characters
1: well it's curious because you look at someone like cassian who says i'm doing this for me and that's kind of it um there's not really a question about it um because he's you know expecting to get paid but even still Skeen is also he's, you know, his mindset is still, I'm doing this for me because this is sort of a personal vendetta type arrangement here. Um, But it's weird that, you know, obviously one of them has better intentions than the other. So you look at both of these and say, okay, if we're being selfish about things and, you know, we are looking at the rebellion as a way to get ourselves what we want and stay out of... You know stay out of imperial trouble and whatever i don't care about what else is happening i'm just going to look out for number one um there's apparently you know there's different ways to look at it where cassian has sort of a moral code and what's interesting is that we're sort of presented with the idea that cassian doesn't really have an exact moral code and we're seeing him at a point before he does which i don't think is necessarily true um, mm-hmm. so, you know, being able to learn that Cassian does know right from wrong and maybe he just acted, you know, very, very quickly in saying, you know, thinking to himself, yeah, that's not. I didn't agree to do that. There's no benefit for me other than money. There's no benefit for me to do that, especially because I gave somebody my word and I'm probably gonna see that person again and this, this, and that. Being able to think through that in a split second and just be like, you know what? It'd probably be easier if I just shot this guy and then just doing it. Um, yeah. so it's a very it's a very you know interesting character combination of of uh perspectives of being able to look at that, you know, look at those options and say, yeah, that would be great, but is it in my best interest? And then how am I going to combat that? I'll just take the quickest route possible um, and just act immediately. Um, So very interesting, but I will say uh, I did like a full on fist pump shouted like yes as soon as he shot him it happened so fast and also i knew i knew that this dude i knew that this dude was going to was going to have something fishy going on i just knew it and i didn't expect it to be cutting and running but um yeah i think that it sort of plays out exactly the way that it would be set up which is you know it's satisfying but also it's still very shocking right
0: Yeah, I think Cassian has been obviously revealed to be a character who has a strong heart and has somebody who, you know, obviously is going to get to a point to where they're able to risk it all for this cause larger than themselves. And I think along that way, Obviously, we've talked about this idea of what are you able to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice to give yourself up to this cause uh, for what you believe in? And I, although Cassian isn't at that point yet, I think it's actions like this that reveal that he is willing to do bad things to protect this cause or at minimum protect people that he maybe sort of cares about. Um, but I also think it's this idea of like this kid who, who risked it all for this mission, in you stealing his money, he dies for nothing. Like you, you just took everything that he, you know, just completely sacrificed himself for and just take it for yourself and leave. I think that there is a sense of that. Um, but also some self-preservation to well, if Skeen's willing to kill them He used to say he's not going to kill me if I don't go along with this thing. I don't want to take all this money and leave. So who's going to say that he's not going to kill me once I say no? I think it's a little bit of column A, column column B to where it's, you know, he's got that self-preservation, but there's also that sense of I sort of kind of believe in what's happening here, but maybe I don't want to admit it to myself. I don't think it's like still a light side choice to just completely kill this guy. I'm sure Luke Skywalker would have something to say about that. Um, (laughs)
1: But I think it does reveal a lot about Cassian's character. Yeah, there's there's a lot more to be explored there, um, especially sort of in the mindset that Cassian is not... I mean, by the, by the beginning of episode one, Cassian is now a killer. And I have to imagine that based on his reaction to the events of episode one, that maybe that's not happened before. Um, and now at this point, shooting somebody you know out of self-preservation even uh at the very least self-preservation uh is something that he is willing to do um which is just uh you know it's 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 pretty interesting
0: yeah, yeah. For sure, definitely see. Uh, uh, curious to see Cassian continue to go um, on this journey. Uh, and before he leaves to go on this journey, uh, he is gifted with Nimic's manifesto, um, something that seems to be, you know, Chekhov's manifesto. Uh, obviously, it was mentioned in prior episodes, so we kind of knew that this manifesto would probably end up in the hands of Cassian, and that it would ultimately potentially influence his his journey towards the rebellion. Uh, so, no doubt, going to be exploring that in further episodes. Um, But before we get there, we cut to the ISB, um, who is, yes, planning a retaliation, um, as well as cutting to Mon Mothma on Coruscant, who is giving this really impassioned speech um, on the the floor of the Senate to a a less than enthusiastic audience, uh, as either they presumably hear about the news of the heist or just don't care about what she has to say. Um, I was a really big fan of this scene and how it portrays the Senate at this time of being barren like super low attendance Uh, I thought this was a really great moment
1: well it's it's hard looking at it knowing that uh Mr. Mr. McDouchebag is waiting at home in his kimono and with a with a man bun and is like, what is it you do again? Some important thing. Yeah. And Mon Mothma is like, I literally no one will listen to me. And it hurts. It hurts. So yeah. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get a little bit more uh, of the Senate because I, I was, you know, waiting for this, this, you know, sort of reveal that there's going to be, uh, at least some political discussion within this, but it does seem very much that the Senate is, is well aware that they mean absolutely nothing, uh, to the empire and that they are just sort of voices for the quote unquote people to be heard. Um, and nothing more than that. Uh, so I guess we'll see if that sort of leads anywhere or if it, is sort of the beginning of the dead end that is Mon Mothma's uh, journey as a a senator trying to impact change. Uh, We'll definitely see about that, but that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to the most.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's moments like this that probably contribute to that sense of helplessness for Mon Mothma of like, well, I want to do something about this, but going through this avenue uh, isn't really helping. Uh, So maybe feeling impassioned to take larger steps and to eventually be the leader of this rebellion and be the face of the rebellion in a lot of ways. And I think it's moments like this that really um, will contribute to that and also feels topical for today. You know, uh, definitely as far as the, the political landscape of things, this idea of screaming into the void, uh, I think definitely resonates. But uh, we also cut to Luthan, uh, and we see his reaction to upon hearing about this mission having gone, quote unquote, successfully, uh, if you want to call it about that. Um, do you think that this heist will change Luthan at all? Do you think that his reliance on Mon Mothma will change, maybe pushing him towards Sagarera? Um, now that this heist has gone successfully, again, quote unquote, successfully, for lack of better word, uh do you think that it's going to change
1: Luther at all and his maybe path towards rebellion I, I think that this is maybe the beginning of you know from what we've seen of him so far is that he is very 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 uh low-key about everything he's super undercover um you know not wanting to make a big fuss about anything uh and i think that maybe this is going to be sort of the push that says okay great now we can get the ball rolling with, you know, maybe more things here and there, building out a better rebellion and having him th- th- sort of it, the the heist going well is sort of the permission that he needed um, to say, OK, great, let's do this thing. And by permission, I mean sort of that self permission of like, I'm not going to let myself get too invested in this unless this, this, and this until A, B, and C uh, take place. And I sort of see that as uh, his reaction here is that it's like, okay, great. Finally, we can, we can start this thing because Mm -hmm. if it didn't go, if it didn't go well, there's no point in trying anything else again. But now that it has that opens up the door to a lot more uh, change and a lot more uh, of his influence uh, elsewhere. And, more more likely than not uh his continued required use of cassian as a uh as a gun for hire maybe so we'll yeah. see.
0: Yeah, I think you're right in saying that this could be a point of, well, this went successfully. What else can go successfully? Like, what are the other chances that we can take or that we can spend, uh, to quote Rogue One? What are the chances and the steps that we can take to eventually lead us to this point that he kind of foresees the rebellion potentially being? I'm just curious to see the avenue that he takes as far as continuing to do these dangerous missions. Yes maybe kids didn't die in this mission, but who's to say that that's not going to happen. Uh, and him maybe battling with, I, I see him as kind of the, the middle ground between between um uh, uh mon mothma uh and between uh our friend uh over here with saw Gerrera, and i see him kind of uh, mitigating between those uh, as, of really operating in this gray area um of rebellion uh and 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 trying to understand what's the best path, what's the what's the best path excuse me uh and and how will this heist influence him uh will saw guerrera get kind of you know get uh, catch wind of this heist going well and uh it's does he offer to join
1: forces? So I'm very, uh, very curious and excited to see this play out uh, in future episodes. If that's how Saw gets into this, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be very mad. (laughs) Uh, It's gotta be, it's gotta be something that I can jive with, which I don't know what it is yet, but whenever it happens, you know what we've got, we are six episodes deep. We are halfway through this show. And uh, I do have faith uh, in the writing and the directing of this show. Um, enough to say that maybe they'll change my mind, but I'm not holding out hope. Don't nobody needs to come after me. Okay. Uh, that we're not at that point yet. I know when I'm beat, I know when to admit that I'm wrong. I can take a hint, but we're not there yet. So just, you know, hold your horses is what I say to you. My my assumption is that
0: Mr. Guerrero, uh, his face is going to pop up probably in the next episode. So um, that's my assumption. And uh, yeah, we will definitely be analyzing next week's episode uh, and and seeing what our thoughts were taking the temperature on Mr. Saw Guerrero. Because I know you have your preconceived notions and I'm uh, excited to be tackling preconceived. that. Preconceived?
1: What? Whatever, man. He's just in, saying. It, what? Okay. You know what? I'll save it. I'll save it. You You'll save for it. I'm not yeah. even. I'm not even mad yet. Not, he's not even here. He's not even here. He is. He will be though. Out, you know? out of sight, out of mind. Came.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If you can't, uh, Noah is uh, trying to struggle through his object permanence right now I, I <laughs> uh, with Mr. Sagrera because he is uh, he's coming in a reckoning is a coming in. Uh, and anyway, uh, before we get to uh, Mr. Sagrera popping up in this show,
1: um, do you have any final thoughts on episode six of Andor titled "The Eye"? Uh, I think I think final thoughts. Um, we're sort of seeing uh, what the best way is to play out the you know. The balancing of the ideas that we've established so far um, with being able to give audiences what they want on a primal level of flashy lights and fast speeders and explosions, um, it's just something that I think is very admirable. It's It's not like Andor is breaking any new ground with television being able to you know make something exciting and entertaining while also saying something but it's a refreshing update uh to something that has become a little bit tired in the uh in, in the era of limited series streaming uh i have now successfully caught up with all of the marvel shows and it's just it's just tiring it's tiring to 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 sit through something and desperately want to connect to these things um and not not be able to because it's just everything's presented in such a short window whereas i think at least how i'm feeling right now with andor is that i didn't realize that i was going to feel so connected to some of these things and you know by the time by the time that moment hits i realize i am i think that's you know being taken by surprise by this show is one of the best feelings i've had sitting down and opening up disney plus every week so just in a really good place with this i just am that's it yeah, I think with episode six, I
0: fully feel settled into this series. I know what the tone is. I know what to expect, not in a bad way, in a way in regards of like tone, structure, pace of things uh, and it's all all to say it's different like it's very different for star wars uh, and with that growth uh doesn't necessarily come like growing pains or anything like that it's just trying to get acclimated to this new sort of delivery of what star wars can be not necessarily like new ideas that can be covered but just the way that it approaches these ideas i love that it's you know discussing it on such a uh a specific targeted pointed This thing, this heist could have been covered in one episode of Rebels or one episode of Clone Wars or Bad Batch or whatever, but we're spreading it out over three weeks. And in that, what are the discussions? What are the character beats that come out of that? And these ideas of why these characters are fighting, why they're rebelling, and what does it say about the rebellion itself? So that about does it for our conversation on episode six, The Eye. Are you ready to move in into this week's episode of Seven, The
1: Announcement? The announcement, yes. I'm so ready for this. Yeah,
0: I'm so excited to talk about this week's episode. Uh, we usually dive into kind of initial reactions, initial uh, initial thoughts on the on the episode. So um, I know that you had just finished watching it. I watched it last night as well as a time before uh, recording here. Um, don't have your official reactions, and I am just so curious and fascinated uh, to see what you think of Episode 7
1: announcement. Here's my, like, I think this is what I came away with. Um this show is hot. Like this show is, is like hot in like (laughs) in exactly the way that I'm making it sound in the sense that it's just like, man, the appeal of this show is just like, it tickles me to a level that TV shows typically don't. And I only say that because it's like, yes, it's refreshing to, to see a sort of different version of star wars but also kind of in this scale of tv we talk about this a lot of kind of comparing it to Mm -hmm. how other shows are somewhat formatted these days and in the era of streaming um but the refreshing part for me especially is when you're watching a show like this and you go huh that thing in star wars or huh that's a that's a weird looking thing. I've not seen that before. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just gets you. It, it's why, you know, it's why Star Wars is always so great to watch is because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And even with the stuff where you go, you know, I kind of know what I'm going to get still, you can be surprised, but by this, I'm just I'm surprised by the littlest things here and there. There's like a, re- a reporter in star Wars. Hell yeah, now. there is. Are you kidding me? Hell yeah, like, there is. This isn't just like a, this isn't just like a Imperial, like this is a hollow message to blah, blah, blah. This is like a full on like, like Walter Cronkite. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I know
1: exactly what you're talking about.
0: Uh, as far as just like, You know, when the original trilogy came out, and and George had established this fantastic, wonderful universe, and our imaginations were swept up by these. You know, the things that we just kind of take for granted now as far as a lightsaber or uh, a spaceship or, you know, all of these, the, the idea of the force or Yoda or just all of these, these crazy things as Star Wars kind of really ingratiated itself into our, just our society. Like, I love that just as a fandom, we just get more and more interested in the Star Wars minutia and we're just like what's banking like in Star Wars and stuff like that, <laughs> which is a lot of what the prequels were. It's like, do they have sports in Star Wars? You know, what would a sports bar be like, you know? Do they have casinos? And then I love that this episode has a few things. One of them, of course, is the fact that they have, like, news. Like, of course, they like the the hollow net and stuff like that has been established, but no, they have, like, a, an actual like, anchor with his little stack of papers and, you know, the green screen behind him and everything. Like, I that was really terrific, as well as some other details here um, in this episode it's great stuff
1: yeah so t- to me it just watching the show week to week there's there's just always things here and there that you don't really think about but clearly someone has and they answer that question in a way that's like yeah that totally fits yeah. that just you know it doesn't seem out of place and i you know i've kind of said yes this would kind of be if you took off the Star Wars skin of this show, it would be its own thing, it really would. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because this does feel like it fits in really seamlessly, but it makes sense. And since episode one, you know, we've gone over how there have been pieces of this show so far that just sound like it's like this is so much Star Wars like jib jab that I don't know exactly what's going on. But I can kind of infer these things based on what I do know about the real world. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing it in a different galaxy. I'm seeing this, this familiar story or these familiar beats take place in a different galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think this episode specifically, because there's not a whole lot of big bang action and drama, uh, in this episode, uh, and it's a little bit slower paced, you kind of take appreciation to those things a little bit more that they are really intentionally crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, general reactions, this was really kind of a fun, sort of exploration of, uh, uh, like you said, kind of the, the minutiae of the world that's being built here. And I will say last thing, um, in terms of general stuff, this question has left me with a, or this episode has left me with a lot more questions. Um, not in terms of like, wait, I don't understand this or wait, I don't understand this. It's presented things, uh, that are going to be expounded upon that I'm like, oh, I I didn't even think of that. Like, what about this? Who's, you know, who's Mm -hmm. doing this? And why is this happening? Um, So I've got tons of questions after this episode, which I love because I know that they will you know, there will be things that answer those questions. So I'm I'm loving where we're at right now, honestly.
0: Me too. Yeah, we are at episode seven, which means we are officially uh, over the halfway mark of the series. The show's over half over. Um, and you and I, you had already kind of touched on it that w- not necessarily that we, we disliked, but it definitely was an adjustment as far as just the structure of the series, um, really emphasizing these three act, sort of three episode arcs um, that would kind of chunk out the story uh, in a way. Um, and uh, Tony Gilroy, uh, who's like the showrunner and kind of uh, uh, the the main uh, the the main creative force behind this series, has talked about the structure like pretty openly about this, and he's described uh, described episode seven as really a connective episode that will probably get back to more of those three episode arcs uh, throughout the rest of the season. Um, and I think that now I have fully settled in to what this show is, the tone of the show, some of the ideas in the show and some of the character dynamics and everything. I think episode seven, I know last week was the big flashy episode with the, the you know, the intense heist, with the thrilling advent, adventure and the, you know, the whiz bang action and all the blasters and all, all that exciting stuff. I think that this is my favorite episode so far. And it honestly might be like one of my favorite Disney plus era Star Wars episodes. Like this episode, like, was exactly what I wanted this series to be when I first, you know, heard that it was announced and when I first saw this. Uh, uh, trailer and footage from the series like this episode really encapsulates so much of that uh, in a really tight 55 minute episode, which is one of the longer, if not the longest episode um, of the series. Um, I just really can't say enough about this episode. It's absolutely terrific. Uh, and and some of the character dynamics and, uh, uh, you know, seeing things kind of come back to bite some of these characters in a way, seeing the, the differences in what it means to be a a rebel uh, and the boundaries that we set for ourselves, uh, as well as what the boundaries are for the Imperial side of things and how they define themselves and what rules they encourage people to break versus rules that they kind of want to uh, inflict on the galaxy. Um, there's so much in this episode that I really honestly can't wait to dive on in. So I had to say, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, for me, I am at a very emph- uh, emphatic uh, two thumbs
1: up uh, for episode yeah, seven. i no, I'm, I'm right there with you. This is Easy, easy Two thumbs up. I think we're kind of following up on all of the, uh, all of the tension that was delivered last episode. We're sort of following up with just a lot of good fleshing out of, of kind of the, the future of this series, mm-hmm. uh, you know, near future, uh, specifically. Uh, and I will say, uh, I will say at least half of one of my thumbs. So half of a thumb, uh, is up because you were wrong, buddy. You were wrong. I was wrong. And he w- he oh. wasn't in it. <laughs> he wasn't in it and we are we're still going strong. We are we are past the 50% mark. Uh, and half of my thumb could not be happier because th- that's a that's a half a thumb. So you're saying that it's like you're saying of... that
0: it's like Inspector Gadget just like up a little bit more uh, because of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're able to push off uh, Mr. Sagarera himself that he is not in this episode. One more one week more down. episode. <laughs> we yeah
1: we we abated him uh, for just a little bit longer.
0: <laughs> oh man, Saw Guerrera, uh when he turns up his face, I'm I'm excited to see uh, to see a reaction and uh, hopefully be hopefully be the voice of reason for you. Because uh, I'm in your corner, Saw. I'm in your corner, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, episode 7 begins uh, with Cyril, who is uh, preparing, uh, preparing for a job interview uh, that his influential uncle has arranged. Uh, Cyril's mother is berating him uh, for his attire, saying that he has this raised collar that he's wearing uh, that has apparently been like added by Cyril. It's like a custom edition. Uh, and she describes it as making him look desperate for intention. Um, while he's enduring this harassment, uh, Cyril's attention is turned to the Hollow Net, uh, which he learns about the attack on the garrison. Uh, you and I had already mentioned it, but this news that he sees is literally news. It's not like a radio or something like that. It's like a classic anchor on TV. Uh, uh, kind of a, a situation here which I was just like ah it's just one of those like silly Star Wars <laughs> things that you're just like there's news in Star Wars like awesome like we know that there's journalists because they've been in like the, some of the comic books and things like that uh, but to see like a television show really in any regard like we just don't yeah. get a lot of TV in Star Wars so to see it here I, mean, I thought b- it was besides great besides
1: like holiday special stuff yeah. you know besides besides any of that yeah I would say you know a a GBN a galactic broadcasting network right. uh, is something that I did not expect, but uh, I'm so curious as to how that Was works. Was that the actual you know?
0: acronym for the, did I miss that? Is it the
1: GBN? No, no, but that's okay. just, that's just my own. <laughs> okay. I just imagine it's GBN. I see. Um, but I do want to know like how they do the weather, you know, it's like, d- is it planet it, by planet? Is there even or, weather
0: in Star Wars though? Like, do they even have a report or is it like, yeah, Mustafar's is hot, dude. You yeah. Know? yeah.
1: It's like, yeah. And uh, we're going to, we're going to kick it on over to our correspondent and Camino. And yeah. he's like, Guys, it's raining. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'll be all. Thank you. You know, I, I imagine it's probably planet to planet, like especially Coruscant, where it's a much, you know, bigger, there seems to be more kind of. Uh, I'm sure there's an actual word for it but like varying temperate weather I I guess would be the word as as far as like it does get hotter and maybe colder I don't think it snows on Coruscant but maybe if it rains on a certain day or something so yeah is there there's got to be a sports guy too because we see an attack of the clones that they have like sports on in the background Uh, so yeah they do and there's sports like announcers in Phantom Menace so I assume that there has to be like okay let's you know let's let's throw it over to Jib Job, you know (laughs) with with the sports (laughs) report you know
1: he goes, uh, the Rancors really took it home last night. <laughs> That's
0: another thing. Do they have like names, like animals in Star Wars? Like, are they like the hockey team is like the Wampas or whatever? That's got to be. Man, that'd be
1: so cool. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be so cool. It's got to be. It's got to be. Tony Gilroy is out here uh, posing the big question. Exactly. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, made me really
0: happy. It's just one of those dumb Star Wars things that you see. And it just is like, <gasps> and, you know, it's not a big cameo. Luke Skywalker doesn't swing in and start swinging his lightsaber. You know, it's, it's new in Star Wars. It's great. Loving it. Absolutely loving it. Um, and speaking of cameos, Noah, uh, back at the ISB headquarters, uh, Colonel Ularin, uh is addressing all of the supervisors uh, and he reveals his intention to uh, have this tax levy uh, that is going to equal the five times the amount that was stolen from Aldehani. We'll get into that and kind of what that means for the rest of the galaxy, but we have to just
1: acknowledge that it's Colonel
0: Ularan. He's back, baby, and that mustache is looking better than ever.
1: I was going to say, Tom Kane, big respect uh, to Tom Kane. Obviously, that's not Tom Kane. Yes. Um, But respect on his name. Absolutely. Um, Loving it.
0: Yeah. uh, Tom Kane, uh, for those of you who don't know, voiced Colonel Ularen, who first appeared um, in A New Hope. I would assume you might have to tweet at uh, uh, Pablo Hidalgo. He would probably know. I would assume that was kind of like a retroactive Edition, you know. Um, I don't think I don't know if that guy had a name. There might have been some handbook back in the, you know, the early '80s or something like that. But Colonel Ularn is a recurring character, a popular character um, in the Clone Wars series. Um, uh, he's the guy. He's the guy with the mustache that doesn't look like any of the clones. Uh, yeah, that's the one. If you're thinking about that guy, <laughs> it's that one. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he popped up in this, there was a bit of me that was like. Is that a different guy? I mean, he's got a mustache. That's got to be him, right? And sure enough, uh, it is. So, um, yeah, Tony Gilroy had initially said that there aren't really these master Easter eggs and in, in character cameos. Uh, so he's a liar because this is a huge cameo. Are you kidding me? Colonel? you lying? This is a
1: big deal. And, and honestly, it is a big deal. The Internet's going crazy. They're like, oh, my gosh, did you see this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um, here and then, Luthan's, uh, you know, collection that he's got, people are like scrounging up all of the little scraps of Easter eggs that they can get in this show, uh, which is a good thing. Like the show doesn't really rely on a lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I love to see you Lauren in this. And I also wanted to know, like, did this kind of go against your sort of headcanon in a way of like we know that you, is involved in the Empire. We see him, obviously, in a meeting with Darth Vader himself in A New Hope, which is considerably after um, uh, the the Age of the Republic. Did you think that there was a side to you, Lauren, that maybe he was trying to get out? Did you ever think or just assume that he really believed in what the Empire was doing? Or were you a little saddened to see him here? Or were you like, no,
1: he's a bad guy. We see him in A New Hope. That was That was established first. Here here's what I think. I think that when you're taking a look at most of the characters in Clone Wars that are, you know, military based, um that you're not going to have a lot of like it's harder to be like, "Oh, well, the Republic is is like definitely 100% the good guys." You know, this is a military and it's war and you know the the structure of the military has just kind of shifted a little bit, but it's still the same personnel that you started with so it doesn't strike me as something that's like wait he turned into a bad guy no he kept his job and the system just kind of evolved like that's just how it is and i'm sure that that's the case for Many Republic officers and naval officers, honestly,
0: well, there's it's the case for one for certain. And you know who that is. It's somebody else that's at that meeting, which is Tarkin. You know, Tarkin was a member of the Republic. and he also transitioned pretty well into the Empire. So, yeah, something that this series has shown as well as the Clone Wars itself is that, uh, really emphasizing that line in the opening crawl of, uh, I believe it's Revenge of the Sith, where they say that there's heroes on both sides and that understanding that, yeah, the the Sith are on one side and those are the definite bad guys, but there are some people that are ca- kind of caught in the middle and in that some people who are maybe on the the side of quote-unquote good who might not have the best intentions. It's something that this show uh, show has shown as well is that, yeah, you have people who are maybe side to side with you and maybe are on this mission for you. But what is the reason that they're there? Is it for is it for the politics? Is it for the the right, quote unquote, reasons for this or is it for money? You know, and I think that Clone Wars is, is you know, emphasize that as well as from the separatist perspective. Um, so, yeah, I think that Colonel Ularan, I never assumed that he would kind of you know, uh, you spend a lot of time with him and you like Tom Kane, and so you kind of want to assume he's got a great mustache, that he's like, no, oh, he's he's <laughs> there, he's a spy or something, you know, but uh, I think uh, he probably buddied up with Tarkin and they were like, ugh, finally, you know, we get to kind of drop this ruse and do everything that we've been wanting to do. So to see Colonel Mularen um, pop back up in this, not just as like some background thing that we can pause and, you know, put red circle and arrows on, but somebody who is like a active force and a threat and like somebody who shows up when shit goes down and really kind of cracks the whip on the people below him. Um, I think really sets up nicely that how this show has done with, I think Tony Gilroy has done a terrific job of like, When TIE fighters show up, we want it to be effective and scary. And when when stormtroopers show up, you know that it's like things have gone poorly. Things are bad now because these guys have shown up. And that's a way to kind of illustrate that. So to bring in a familiar face and somebody that we know has ties with Emperor Palpatine and says that they've literally just finished talking to them or have meetings with them, I think it's really effective.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we'll come back to later in this episode as well, especially with stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. But that idea that, you know, great, things have things have changed and now the Empire is getting involved. That's something that this show has done very well is showing, yeah, I mean, stuff happens, but until the Empire gets there, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. But as soon as, you know, as soon as they find a problem, you know, they're going to I think it's it's actually in that meeting is is when when he says the line it's a question of how hard they're going to clench their fist now right um and or how hard they're going to tighten their grip so it's just a really kind of it's a cool perspective not like cool like good cool <laughs> yeah <but> fascism cool. <laughs> cool cool like. We don't really, you know, we see the empire as just this boot, yeah. um, but now we're seeing it as a more kind of decisive and calculated boot. Yeah. Um, which is scarier. Uh, Like it's just admittedly scarier.
0: Yeah. Seeing as less of like a hammer or sledgehammer and more of like a scalpel, you know, that's like cutting out these pieces. Uh, And they talk about that, like in prior episodes of like finding the symptoms that will eventually lead to, I guess, a sickness if you are going to follow that train of thought. Um, And it also really makes that, I believe it's the commandant was like his position, but earlier in the season uh, where uh, Cyril was investigating the killing and the guy was like, just don't worry about it, man. Just don't worry about it. Like, keep your hands clean and fine. <laughs> have, they shouldn't have been doing whatever they were doing, yeah. anyways. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I feel bad for him now. He's just like, God, I, I, t- I try to tell you, man. Now look, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what I'm saying is all of this is Cyril Karn's fault. So, way to go, buddy. Um, so, yeah. so, I do want to talk a little bit. Uh, we were kind of speaking about like the crunchy details of everything and, and how Star Wars gets into the minutiae. Uh, and there's some tax uh, conversation here and, you know, different things being levied uh, throughout the galaxy so um, this tribute tax um, has been levied on any sector that shows any kind of partisan activity uh, based on Emperor Palpatine's orders the ISB is going to have free access to the army and naval resources Um, in addition to that Palpatine is going to conduct an emergency session and grant the ISB the power to do uh, pretty much any surveillance uh, searches and or seizures that they want to um, before we kind of talk about the impact of that as a result of some of these characters actions, I just kind of want to get the obvious out of the way. Do we think that Emperor Palpatine is going to, you know, pop up his little ugly wrinkled face uh, later in this season?
1: Do you, can, do you, you think that's a possibility? I absolutely think it's a possibility. I honestly, um, for Kenobi was kind of hoping that we would see him and I'd, Uh, I remember when we talked about it, I kind of said, you know, why wouldn't we see Palpatine? You know, we see Vader. It'd be, it would make sense that we would see Palpatine, but I wasn't, I definitely wasn't holding my breath. Um, Granted, we did have the pleasure of seeing Palpatine and hearing from him a little bit. Yeah. Um, So to me, this kind of, uh, I see this as, okay, there are these problems and they're eventually working themselves up this chain. And at what point does it reach the top of the chain So that, you know, Palpatine has to step in, maybe in a Senate slash Empire actual, uh, kind of position and not Sith Lord position. Um, so that's what I, I mean, I was, I was from that moment, I was like, okay, great. Like we're gonna see, we're gonna see him and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be crazy. So, I mean, I, I, I will reserve kind of my complete feelings. Yeah. Um, But I I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. I think it's definitely possible. Um, If you kind of go back and just doing
0: some quick Googling here, um, it says that that there was kind of the initial reports that Obi-Wan had wrapped filming um, per Collider on September 20th in, two, in 2021. Uh, and then just about a week later, also from Collider, they reported that Andor had wrapped film in. So they seem to have wrapped up in pretty similar times. So I think it's totally possible that they put Ian McDermott in the makeup and then, you know, they're like, by the way, while you're here, can you shoot this scene, you know, and we can put you up in the Senate or something like that? I think that's a really interesting thought is how does Palpatine present himself um, as a senator, uh, as a senator, and in this more political side of things, because you're right, we we get plenty of time with him as the evil, dark, maniacal wizard. But I'm curious to see him for more of uh, maybe not benevolent, but somebody who can't just be cackling and shooting lightning from his fingertips. You know, <laughs> we get a little bit of that in Revenge of the Sith, of course, where he's like the attack on my life has left me scarred. You know, like we, yeah. we have that little bit. But then also in Star Wars Rebels, to where he kind of presents a different side of him to where he is a little bit more um, it's kind of like the Hansel and Gretel witch you know to where you're kind of luring in the children uh, kind of situation just like pretending to be nice and, and all good and just wanting to give you the cookies and everything but you look in there this horrible you know mangled face um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm curious to see that um, it's not a necessity for me but I think it could be powerful it could be interesting for Mon Mothma even maybe to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to be shown in this and to to see because we have a conversation later on in this episode where she's kind of like what have you done man like you've you've taken this leap now that you've taken this leap we can't take these sort of half measures anymore and we can't really uh, fully uh, kind of uh, you know take these baby steps to this you just leapt and then now we're kind of forced into the situation we'll, we'll obviously be talking about that conversation as well but um, I think having Palpatine show up and really um, conduct this so-called emergency session, um, could be uh, really powerful. Granted, um, we kind of know like, you know, what is going to be granted to the ISB. We even see some of the at play here. So maybe it could just be like, what does it add to the series other than, Hey, cool. It's Ian McDermott. Um, I could see either. And I think either is, is honestly fine. I'm okay with either.
1: Yeah. I I think the, the most important part about you know, doing something like having Palpatine be in this position is at least just getting to see the full scope of what the empire is, how they're wanting to react to this sort of thing. And this is, that's kind of the whole idea of this episode is some people see it as a robbery and to others, it's not a robbery. It's an announcement. Right. Hey, it's like the title of the episode or something. Wow. Somebody's (laughs) smart. (laughs) Somebody did some smart writing there. Yeah. Um, so seeing kind of how the empire reacts and especially Luthen's perspective of how they want the empire to react, how they want, uh, to be portrayed and to be seen, um, and getting, getting Palpatine's perspective on that is going to be very interesting, both as, you know, sort of the, the, in, in the Senate position as how did they respond to that officially versus, you know, how would he deal with this as a Sith Lord who is power hungry and insane. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, beyond the fact that we know that it's, you know, not going to go well, um, I think that's still... Infinitely interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see what direction uh, that we go into. And uh, hopefully, uh, if, if Ian McDermott does show up, you know, we'll welcome welcome him with uh, with open arms, that weird, creepy uh, fascist wizard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, after this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, after this, Noah, uh, Luthen Real uh, learns about the ISB's actions. But uh, before he can uh, fully hear the news in its entirety, uh, Mon Mothma unexpectedly arrives uh, to inquire about said attack on the garrison. Um, uh, After this note, we really get this interesting scene between the two of them um, that not only plays well between both of their dynamics and how they feel about the necessary steps that need to be taken against the Empire, but I love how this entire conversation is in secrecy. And that they're putting on these faces and literally, you know, talking through grin teeth of like this idea of striking back against the Empire. But they have to do so in secrecy because of the driver that's there and then whoever else might be, you know, sort of watching them. They they have to really put on this face, which is even that said face is even addressed later in this episode.
1: Yeah, there's there's a, a very interesting uh, moment that like, it's very obvious, but when, when Luthan is, you know, welcoming Mon Mothma, he's very much like, hello, welcome back. And then like, as soon as he turns around, he's like, what do you want? (laughs) Why are you here? And then like, he turns back around and he's like, isn't this lovely? It's like, it's very obvious, but you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you see it and you're like, oh, I get it, dualism, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that question is sort of extended further is, at what point does, you know, the mask start to crack? At mm-hmm. what point does the real face start to show through, if at all, yeah. you know, are we going to see that? Or at what point, you know, what has to happen in order for the true, the true person, um, as Mon Mothma later describes, the yeah. true person, you know, what does it take for that person to come out? Um, so I think that for both of them, especially, uh, it's going to be very interesting because her initial reaction kind of shocked me. She was, she reacts to this news, like almost like frightened and like disturbed, disgusted. Um, and I'm, you know, it's one of those things that paints this as like, yeah, we get it rebellion and the empire's mean, and we got to fight back, but it's, painted so intentionally to show that this is like so high stakes for these kind of people. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we've seen before. You know, the rebellion that we've seen, uh, is very like, well, I got nothing better to do. Uh, my, my aunt and uncle got burned to a crisp, uh, and this old guy gave me a sword. Yeah. So might as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, we've not seen that, that struggle, that fight, um, to you know, to to start this thing and say now that it's started, we can't stop it. Um, it's just really, really compelling. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also fascinating to see that we've seen the Empire like l- literally strike back against the Rebel Alliance, um, but also
1: have they should to- make a movie about that. They should. <laughs> that, that
0: sounds like a good <laughs> idea. Um, I, I think that it's fascinating to see this. Which we discussed, like, how much money do these Rebels really steal? And we kind of using like, well, if if Obi-Wan gave Han this much, then it's probably about this much, you know? But like, in context of everything, the fact that this robbery happens. Imagine if like somebody robbed, uh, you know, a Wells Fargo or like Fort Knox, even let's just say Fort Knox, you know, somebody robs Fort Knox and then the country goes on lockdown, (laughs) (laughs) the country goes on lockdown and you can't do anything. And if you do your sentencing that we find out later in this episode is going to be exponentially larger. So to see this, like kind of the, the Rebel Alliance sort of, you know, have the small cut on on the Empire. and The Empire is, like, coming out guns blazing is, like, really, really terrifying and is also kind of the point because Mothma in this conversation seems shocked by Rail's involvement with this attack and says that because of this, Palpatine is going to flip out. Like, he's going to overreact and overextend his reach. And Rail responds in a way that I thought was just really fascinated. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> He's like yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what we wanted him to do, and then in doing so, Rail kind of echoes Nimick's philosophy in a way, in stating that since the Empire has been choking the galaxy so slowly over time that the people aren't noticing anymore, uh, and it will be this overreaction that will probably awaken their need to fight back against you know this this tyranny and and help out the rebellion. And I thought that this was like I I think so often. Some of these, uh, especially Marvel, has a habit of introducing characters um, that have – introducing villains and antagonists of a story that make good points and that have good points, but they put them in a situation to where, like – Okay, but they just shot a bunch of kids, you know, or they just shot, right, they just indiscriminately right. started shooting people. So now I can't really in good conscience, quote unquote, support them. I, I take Black Panther, for example, of or, or Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's to where I'm like, man, this person's making a lot of good points. Oh, they just killed a bunch of civilians. Okay, I guess I'm not supposed to root for them anymore. And I think that this show, not that it's better or worse or whatever, it's just a different approach or an approach that I kind of, uh, I'm more just kind of compelled by or find myself really seeing both sides of as far as like this need to the empire is, is you used a boot as an analogy. The empire is stepping on the galaxy or at least their foot is like hovering over with like occasional stomps, you know? it's about time that they're just like, just go ahead and do it. That way we can really do something about this and rally the troops around us. Just kind of like waiting for you just to kind of, you know, pull the trigger that you're putting to the head of the galaxy. You know, Mm -hmm. It, it is fascinating and compelling and in a way of like, I truly understand both sides and what a great way to, personify this than what we had talked about, um, in last week's episode of that jumping over the railing and that leaping into this mission. It's really like, there's no going back now, not just in this mission, but also against the fight of the rebellion. I found this conversation on multiple levels just to be really enthralling.
1: Yeah. And one of my favorite bits here is, um, kind of like I was saying with Mon Moth's Mon Mothma's reaction, Um, and sort of her playing both playing the you know that side of like we can't be doing this. This is you know this is too much. You know we have to be cautious. Her cautiousness comes out as her saying. um, I mean, she she essentially echoes the sentiment that people people across the galaxy are going to suffer as a result of a rebellion. Um, and that struck me as very odd because like I was, I thought about it for a second and I was like, wait a minute, like people are already suffering at the hands of the empire. You know, this, you are a Senator and you're fighting for these people that are suffering. And that's kind of, I mean, that's the point that, you know, her, her position, her job is to, is to reduce that sort of thing. She's not in a position to say, well, you know, whatever sacrifice is necessary. And she has to be so abundantly cautious that it makes sense that there is fear there and there is hesitation. Um, But to see somebody who's kind of the, um, I guess the, the antithesis of that in Luthen saying like, all right, we did it time to keep going because there's no stopping now is just so interesting because now it is painting a, a more full picture of the engagement of the rebellion, the, you know, the perception of the rebellion, even from within.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's going to, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's going to make Saw's introduction um a little bit more necessary, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. to kind of fully paint that picture, yeah. you know? Yeah, I
0: mean, it's so... I'm just, I, I feel like I could, you know, this almost is like an episode in and of itself, just kind of like the philosophy of this conversation and these two ideas. I mean, I guess from like my perspective, I kind of echo what you're saying is like, the empire is causing harm on the galaxy. It's not like things are great and we are making them bad now. Things are bad and they might be a little worse now, but in an effort to kind of be the on the brighter side of things, it seems like rail is really like, this bandaid needs to come off. And instead of like slowly ripping it off, why don't we just rip it? Yeah, it might hurt, you know, but in an effort to just kind of, instead of having that pain drawn out, maybe we can kind of, you know, encourage others to, to participate. I think it's it's obviously something that, Mon Mothma is going to get to a point to maybe not to where she understands, but she finds herself on the other side of the conversation because our first introduction to her is on the battle of Endor, you know, like obviously leading this assault, like an, a real assault. She's not fighting in, on Endor on the Senate floor here. She's leading a militaristic assault on this, on this base. Lots of people are, you know, have died, risked their lives to get to them, to get them to that point, And then also will continue to die so we know many
1: many bothans i've heard
0: exactly that those are the ones and so we know that mothma gets to this point but to see her kind of get to it and to honestly kind of be how a lot of people i i just feel like in the real world sort of are to where it's just like i don't want to have these conversations they they you know they cause conflict they cause fights like why can't we all just like agree to disagree and go our separate ways to where it's like but on the other side, it's like, no, we need to have these conversations and they might be difficult and you might lose friends or coworkers or people that you thought were, you know, uh, maybe more politically aligned or even family members. It's like, yeah, you might have to kind of cut some of those people off and it's going to be painful, but this is what progress w- looks like. And I love that the show, again, is able to offer this sort of moral quandary. And I think it's something that Saw Gerrera, uh, I'm curious to see how they tackle it because I could see it going into this territory as far as. I agree with this person and their philosophy, but I can't condone what they're doing because they're killing people. And I love that Luther rail really is in this sort of middle ground, which is what we, you know, kind of anticipated as far as being between the Mothma, uh, between Mothma and uh, between Saw and kind of this, this gray area between the two of them. And I love that this conversation just really makes me be like, I don't know, man, I see both sides. Like, and they're (laughs) really, really compelling. And I also love that there's some great uh, sort of visual uh, metaphors and visual imagery here as far as like the 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 reason that Mothma comes in as far as like the staged reason that she comes in is to return this gift that she bought for her husband, which is like an art piece. And in exchange, Luthen hands her like a like a weapon. And he's kind of like, do you want this now? Like, it's really, it's a really great way to emphasize. He's like handing her this weapon. And there's this line as he says, like, no weapon has ever been designed not to be used. And so I just like, yeah, this scene, I can't really say enough about it. I was just, this is like one of those scenes that I was watching it. And I was like, this is going to be one of my new favorite Star Wars moments here.
1: Yeah. And I think there is also something to be said. I think Mothma's kind of quandary, like you put it. Uh, is a lot like another characters in this show, Uh, a very titular character, um, sort of having this, they're not quite there yet. When will they get to that point? Mm -hmm. Quandary. Yeah. Uh, but on two different sides of the coin. So, uh. Good writing is what we call that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You and I had done a, a episode breakdown of like Star Wars Rebels, the twin sons. And I was watching this and I was like, oh, this, this could be a whole episode, man. Like we could go line <laughs> by line and moment by moment. So yeah. What a great episode. One of my favorites of the season so far. Um, So back at the ISB, uh, Dedra disregards protocol. Uh, bypasses protocol to access records uh, of all missing um, comms and navigations and targeting equipment, because she's really kind of the only one out of the ISB who isn't preoccupied with this heist, with this attack and instead looking deeper into Ferrix, because I think that she kind of thinks that there's a a link here um, of, of just kind of rebellion. And here's this other thing that happened. That's maybe a little less obvious, Um, But maybe having some connective tissue there. Um, And uh, we'll kind of get back on that later because it's it's I think it's a little bit more emphasized later on is kind of what that means for her character and kind of just the philosophy um, of the of the empire. So we will put a pin in that. Um, So back on Coruscant, Mon Mothma reunites at this sort of cocktail party um, with her friend Tay Coloma. Um, who is an empire, uh, an employee of the empire? Um, I don't know about you, but I was looking around this party, being like, "Where is she, man?" You know.
1: <laughs> I was. Where 100%... is she? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: you would you would have seen her because she would have been looking at you first. <laughs> You'd have been like, "Where is she?" Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'd yeah. have gotten scared. It would have gotten spooked. Yeah. Um, hilarious though. I I was also like, "Is there is there anyone here that I am meant to?" Yeah. That I meant to like see kind of sticking out. Yeah. Um. I will say though, this guy, this friend of hers, take take Yeah. Um. I thought for a second that he was supposed to be somebody that we were supposed to remember, um, because he looks a lot like uh, he looks a lot like Chancellor Valorum. and I was like, wait, 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 wait. This guy's face looks so familiar. Can you imagine? We're, like. I I for a second was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this who I think it is? And I was like, no, it's not Chancef- Chancellor Valorum. Like, why would it be? Um, but I did think for a second, I was like, we're going to see somebody here that probably doesn't really mean anything, but it's just one of those like, oh my goodness, they're back. You know, like, let's get a uh, Massa Meta in here. And uh, he's just, I don't know, doing like a party trick or something. Yeah, uh, the the person that we were
0: looking for uh, that we were alluding to is Slymore, who was name-dropped earlier in the season as the so- so-called life of the party, uh, when I was very excited to see her doing I'm like, does she do impressions? Like, what's going on here? Um, you had mentioned Chancellor Valorum, I'm obviously portrayed by Terrence Stamp, who is still alive, uh, 84 years old. Um, I don't know if they're retired, still acting, whatever. Um, and I'm also not like super kept up on... On like the canon uh, novels and everything, so i mean now I'm like, oh, is Chancellor Valorum in the the Queen's like the Padme novels? Like that would be fascinating. Like what happened to him? Like wouldn't that be great if he's like, like I fucking hate Emperor Palpatine, that little sack of shit, you know? I mean, like he's on the really strike though, they, against
1: him. They look really similar. Like yeah. they definitely do. Um. So yeah. I I think that there's, maybe there was a chance at one point they were like, who can we throw in here? Yeah. So it'd be interesting, but nonetheless. So so
0: during this conversation that they have, um, Mothma and and Coloma exchange this suspicion um, of trust, which I also thought was great to see them kind of go tit for tat. And then Coloma to be like, I don't know, politically, I might be a little, I'll just say that I might be a little extreme for you. And Mothma kind of being like. Oh, you think so? You know, and then like really kind of getting the green light on that end. Uh, and They both kind of come to this realization that they're really on the same side of things, which I thought was great. You know, the sense of just kind of I related to it in the sense of like when you meet new people, you just like say some things that are a little controversial and you just look around and you're just like. Does anybody want to pipe up about what I just said? No. Okay, you guys are cool. You know,
1: (laughs) it's like uh, they're
0: just kind of you know really taking the temperature here on like each other, and and it's a sense of like can they trust one another? Uh, Because she needs his help, and they're these old you know sort of childhood friends here. Um, And Mothma tells him uh, that this version of herself that she presents to people. Uh, the the public kind of idea of who Mon Mothma is, is a front for people, noting that she has learned this lesson from Palpatine. And there's a great quote here. Um, she says, if you threaten someone with a stone, they're going to miss the dagger at their throat. Uh, and there's also another great quote, which was um, from the from the trailer, um, as far as the I think the line is, if, if everybody sees me as a, nu- a nuisance, they'll be uh, missing what I'm actually doing. Um, And she kind of uh, encourages Tay to become a donor to the Chandrilan Charitable Outreach Program uh, because her funds are running dry. Um, Tay tries to know the purpose of this so-called charity, and she tells him that it would kind of be best (laughs) to be in the dark and to kind of feign this smile um, because of those watching. Uh, And it seems like a real plausible deniability approach between the two of them. And I just love that this series is like, Let's dedicate a good seven minutes to this conversation between these two people, because I think it's not only thematically important, but it really also emphasizes the sense of danger as far as like, who can I trust here? And things are bad across the galaxy, but who's going to do something about it or who is going to report me just because, you know, they just want to keep their hands clean of everything. I thought it was really fascinating
1: well and not only dedicating so much time to a conversation like this um we don't really reach a conclusion with uh, by the end of this conversation yeah. you know it's very much just setting the stage of you know asking these questions and being suspicious of of people and and trying to figure out um you know where loyalties lie and you know again like you said who you can trust um so it's very very interesting that and, and obviously, I think one of the more interesting things is that uh, she outright says that her husband can't be trusted, um, which is hilarious. She's like, oh, here comes my husband. Don't mention anything to him because he sucks. Dude, they're, <laughs> they're getting
0: a divorce. There's no way. There's no way this guy makes it to the Battle of Endor. There's just no way.
1: Well, so I'm wondering because, you know, is this more along the lines of like her husband can't be trusted as in she doesn't know if she could trust him or if, if he did know, then this would be bad for her. You know, is he, is he stupid or is he like really not a good person? You know? Yeah. I think it remains to be seen. Um, but it's definitely a question that I have. Yeah. I think, I think it's
0: probably to do with a lot of things. He just generally doesn't seem very supportive of her, political mission uh you know describes her work as boring and dull i don't think he really fully believes in the cause and then also he's like pals with people that are the advisors to Palpatine, you know, the the, the <laughs> ringmaster of it all. And so I think she's pretty right to just be like, you know what, let's leave uh, the old hubby out of this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does not deserve to be there anyway because no. uh, he sucks.
0: Yeah. And this uh, charitable outreach program um, is maybe not like the Rebel Alliance or anything like that, but definitely sort of like buying the so-called seeds that would you would essentially plant to create this rebel alliance, I would just have to assume. I don't I you know, she describes it as like kind of a a dull thing that nobody ever really cares about or pays attention to. So I think it's definitely the sense of like, well, I'll do another one of these things that people don't really care about and nobody's gonna pay any mind to this thing that I'm doing. Again, this sort of rock with the the knife to the throat.
1: I well, I wonder if this is one of those things where you know her mission here is to do things by the books and sort of chip away at yeah. at the problems and the issues um is this really like a charitable outreach program that would you know pay for certain things but she kind of frames it as like i need to raise money would you consider donating to this quote unquote charity. Yeah. Um, you know, and then at what point does that become something that she could be condemned for and could be, you know, and could be charged with. So is it a question of moral high ground, um, or how you go about doing things? If maybe what Mon Mothma is doing could be considered just as, if not more illegal with her position in the Senate. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting question because I think that, you know, Obviously in her mind, she is doing the she is doing the best thing that she can in the position that she's in. Um and when presented with an option to do things a little bit more drastically, she's like, uh-uh, no way. No, thank you. Yeah. Not my thing. Well, you know. I,
0: I think it was such a great a choice in the prior episode to show her pleading to the Senate for maybe a different reason to to try to help people not even fight against the empire, but just like people are being harmed by this thing that you guys enacted. So maybe let's help them out. And then just having like met to crickets, like nobody's paying attention to her. They're focused on these other things. The attendance seems super down at the Senate. So there seems to be either a disinterest or like a lack of hope in the Senate. And I think that, it's a great way to show that Mothma is kind of slowly learning that, if I want to make a change, I may maybe going to have to refocus my efforts. I think it's a lesson that Padme learns as well um, in the, the Age of the Republic as well, is that, yes, there is a time and a place to solve things diplomatically, but if you are, you know, your arm is twisted so far that you need to defend yourself, you can kind of have those aggressive negotiations like she would, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, put a name on it. But I, I just love that the show is really showing the levels to rebellion and then also kind of this gauging um, or calibrating of what is the right level at this point to where it seems like rail is kind of going for that more sledgehammer approach to where maybe she's like, I want to chip away and do the scalpel approach to where they look around and you know, everything is completely falling apart. So I love that the show is showing multiple levels of that in that it's not all let's go in guns blazing and steal all their stuff. It's like, well, no, maybe let's kind of play by their rules. And they're wanting to do things with tax levies and, you know, kind of cross the red tape. We'll all cross the red tape in a, in a similar way, but in a way that they won't be able to tell. Cause they're not looking for that. It's something that Cassian had already mentioned is like, you just kind of walk in like you own the place and they can't even fathom that something like this would happen. So I think it's a really smart way to demonstrate these different levels of rebellion. And then also, you know, uh, what can different people, you know, h- what is your rebellion? How can you contribute to this fight? You might not be built to go in and, you know, I don't see Mon Mothma getting a blaster and going in and staging this robbery, but she could raise funds in a different way, in a way that, you know, uh, you know uh, brings other allies across the galaxy together. So I, I think it's really great stuff.
1: Yeah, it it does make me think of um, instances like Rogue One, honestly, um, with someone like Galen Erso kind of doing things his way and being able to affect change in a way that would have such a huge effect but not, you know, sort of going under the radar and not doing that sledgehammer approach yeah. it is more of kind of a ticking time bomb approach of, you know, this needs to work out perfectly and, you know, this is something that I'm planting here to eventually grow into something. Again, just... Yeah. There's a lot of different approaches to this kind of thing, and we you know we talk about having the 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 phoenix squadron and and the the crew of the ghost doing their own things at the same time that this stuff is going on yeah. um, and it all looks very different, but it all kind of culminates. It's one of the things that I'm loving about this series is seeing you know we've seen so many different forms of rebellion, even the path in Obi-Wan, like we've talked about before, yeah. um, is how do these things eventually all kind of meet the same crossroads? Um, but being able to see these things at their inception is really, really fun, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's all, it makes sense to me that if you have the galaxy, you know, being strangled by the empire, people are going to find different ways or ways that they can use their skills and their resources at their disposal to rebel. Uh, in more of like an active verb kind of situation, maybe not in the Rebel Alliance proper, but yeah, you're exactly right to bring up the path or something of what does that, you know, what do they have? You know, they can offer these different shipping lanes or these tunnels or whatever. And then Mothma's is, I can go on the Senate floor and I can, you know, pat, try to pass certain legislature that they might not even think or raise funds for this other thing that they're disinterested in. And like, that's how they can help. Or Leia's is, you know, diplomatically and all of these different things. Yeah, I, I think it's really terrific of how it eventually is going to lead to these people coming together and understanding that something needs to happen and we need to to form this alliance, so to speak. So back with Cassian, he is returning to Ferex to go to Bix uh, and kind of check in with her and then also uh, repay some of the funds that he owed. Uh, and Bix kind of just tells him that She's like, you're not super welcome here anymore. Uh, The people of Ferex have really turned against you. uh, And they kind of believe that all of this is sort of your fault. Um, He he doesn't really understand, uh, tries to plead his case, but ultimately just repays what he owes to Bix and leaves a little extra for everyone who helped him get out of Ferex with real. So I just wanted to ask you, Noah, do you think
1: what happened on Ferex is Cassian's fault? Absolutely not. No way. (laughs) It's definitely Cyril's fault. It is so 100% Cyril's fault. um, Because, you know, you go through this question a lot as like, is this this person's fault? Okay, and this is like a real world thing. Mm -hmm. Is this this person's fault? Well, if So-and-so hadn't have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. And you're like, well, I guess you can go back a little bit farther. If this didn't happen to this, then it wouldn't have happened. Oh, well, I guess you can go back a little bit farther. If blah, 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 and you can go all the way back down the line, and we just end up at the first episode where we say, if these guys hadn't have harassed Cassian outside of a nightclub uh, where they weren't supposed to be, then none of this would have happened. Um, but I think that down to kind of like where we are right now, I think someone like Cyril is kind of the uh, the I guess the fuse here that has kind of been flicked on and led to this entire thing because what we see, you know, these the the corpos coming to capture Cassian um, and the havoc that they wreak on Ferrex um, is so not because of Cassian, there are things that happen outside of their, you know, of their chase with him to where, you know, they're, you know, killing people in the streets. Um, they're, you know, subjecting people to be arrested, beaten and stuff. Um, this is something that Cassian's not directly involved with. I think that face value, you can say, well, if Cassian hadn't have come back, then, you know, we wouldn't be, in this position with the, with the empire now here occupying Ferex. Um, but realistically, I think everything was Cyril's fault and I'm so excited to see him, uh, kind of not like, repent or or compensate for it but to to be like i'm going to fix this because this whole thing went down and it's this guy's fault and i'm gonna fix it because they say that i ruined things but i'm i mean he says that at the end of this episode he wants to expunge his record um and he wants his his name to be cleared Mm -hmm. i do think that he feels a tremendous amount of guilt as he should uh and it's absolutely going to influence his his future actions so Firmly in the camp of not Cassian's fault. I think Cyril
0: has been intentionally painted to not be this evil, like, you know, he's doing things just to cause people harm. Like, I, he's definitely not a good guy, for sure. He's participating in complacent in this horrible machine that causes a lot of pain. But from his perspective, he is the good guy. He is following in his duty. He is not turning a blind eye to these things that happened. I don't necessarily think that he was like, Oh, they killed my buddies. Like, I don't think he really thinks that I think he is more kind of like in love with the sense of duty and power and like wanting to, to use that. But from his perspective, Cassian broke the law, killed some of his coworkers. And so he is taking like the necessary steps against that. And in that you know that 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 battle in episode three on Ferrex, where that explosion happens, and the cut to Cyril, and he's just kind of like, you know, wide eyed. We we had commented at that uh, at that moment and said that like, not only was that such great acting, but it conveys so many things this this fear, this surprise, but then also the sense of like, what did I do? You know, I, I was supposed to just. Uh, sign said that it was an accident It was a re- uh, report sign off and just kind of look away, you know, and then because I, I pursued this all of these dominoes had, had fallen. However, I also think that because some of these dominoes had fallen Cassian knowingly and willingly put people that he cares about in danger Um, and in and, and coming home puts them in danger and in that he also does the same thing in this episode like he still comes home in a way of people are like dude what are you doing here like you being here is making us kind of be involved in in these so-called like symptoms you know that like the isb calls um they they talk about in this is that like uh, anybody who is in, engaged in any anti-imperial activity is going to be in pretty huge trouble and Cassian even finds that out later in this. So I think it's supposed to be intentionally kind of like this butterfly effect, uh, chicken and the egg kind of situation, but I will say that Cassian it probably shouldn't have gotten other people tied up in this and he got some of his friends killed uh, and just th- this town is now being strangled by the Empire. So obviously, yeah, it's the empire's fault. Like the, these two guys that harassed him and Cassian defending himself, obviously. Yeah. Their fault, but also Cassian's not entirely getting out of here scot free. Like I don't, I don't think that he should have involved some of his friends in a way that really seemed like a, a self-preservation sort of way of like, well, yeah. yeah, I can get this money or I can get this resource or whatever, and then use my friends to get myself out of here. Uh, yeah, I, I think Cassian knows what he did was, was, probably wrong uh, which is ultimately why he kind of leaves everybody behind in this episode
1: well i mean that is kind of the eternal question of this this show or the the question that the show is presenting is in these big things um are there multiple parties to blame who's in the right who's in the wrong is there a right is there a wrong um you know and which avenue is more Morally high than the other. it's kind of a a question that's that's ever present. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that Cassian's not to blame at all. Um, But obviously, dude was scared. And if I accidentally killed two guys, I'd probably run home to my mommy. So, (laughs) you know what? I think it's fair.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely understandable on Cassian's fault, but like everything, there's a cause and effect, and well, this is the effect. Um, While heading back to his house, uh, we do get a brief flashback on how Clem was uh, maybe killed. Um, Clem tried to stop protesters from throwing stones at a group of clone troopers. Um, I'm assuming is in the Age of the Empire. They don't have any markings or uh, identifying symbols on them. Uh, We saw this really clearly in the Bad Batch, uh, you know, beginning of the season versus the end of the season where all the clones look look in their uniform, look uniform, you know, they, they, none of them have the, you know, the, the, the paint jobs or the, the special markings or that sense of, uh, sense of, uh, uniqueness. Uh, they they all just look kind of the exact same. And even the way that they move and behave in this, in this brief glimpse that we get of them, I, I kind of assume, uh, is in the age of the empire. Yeah. Um, but in Clem trying to intervene, uh, in this situation, it seems like he, uh, in, and unintentionally gets himself killed as being sort of identified as this perpetrator, um, and get, gets himself hung. Uh, and we also get a glimpse of a young Cassian who is charging at the clone troopers, uh, who killed Clem. Um, still kind of unclear on what all of that is the timeline of everything. So I, we will definitely be, um, getting more information on that, but still a uh, pretty, um p- pretty compelling stuff uh, so far i did want to you, do you have any hints or anything or potential you know room for parallels between clem and the situation that he found himself in versus cassian at this time
1: it's one of those interesting things that you know we have seen a lot of we, we've seen a lot of different shades of cassian so far And one of the things that, you know, we've been kind of waiting for is when is this eventual moment for him where he says, you know, no, I've been hurt by the Empire and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to, you know, this, this and that. And this is a very interesting moment for him to kind of have this this memory, this flashback of what has been done to him by the Empire, um, because we are at somewhat of a pivotal moment of okay, great. You helped out the rebellion and now's your chance to either get out and stay out or, you know, make a choice. And, you know, where are you going to go from here? Mm -hmm. So seeing something like that as at least a motivator to say, you know, now you are, you know, you're somewhat of a, of a high, you know, high stakes target, um, here. And, you know, you could be, either on the run forever or at least, you know, on the run until you until you can find a place where no one can can find you or you can sort of dedicate yourself to something bigger. I don't think that it's um, I don't think that it's like coincidence that the the intro to every episode, the um, kind of the previously on uh, is always Luthan asking Cassian, wouldn't you rather give it all, uh, you know, So blah, blah, blah. That whole thing. Right. Um, I think that that's sort of the, obviously that's the running theme, but here looking at how that colors, what Cassian is doing right now in going back home, getting ready to leave it all behind and getting ready to just peace out, uh, after remembering what happened to his adopted father is one of those things where you you're kind of as an audience member you're sitting there hoping like make make that choice, man, I'm sitting here waiting for you to make that choice, and it only makes sense that you would make that choice, like what more do you need yeah um so I feel like we're kind of you know seeing this now is is an indication of somewhat of a tipping point um and at least reaching closer to that, so very interested to see where things go from here,
0: yeah, I think from cassian's perspective, he might eventually get to this point of like well. Clem, someone who he probably considers to be his father in a way, was killed trying to intervene in this situation. But in a way that's like, he's not actively involved. Like he wasn't the perpetrator. He wasn't throwing these stones. He just kind of got caught in the middle of it. And I think Cassian's going to get to a point to where, especially at what we see at the end of this episode is he is also just getting caught in the middle of it. This fire is starting around him and he has to decide kind of which side he's going to join because eventually in the middle, he's going to learn that that's not really a place to be like, you're still going to get involved, but are you choosing to get involved or is it just sort of happening to you because you're also there? I think that he would rather go down. Like you had mentioned, like rail says is give it all to something real or like kind of go down under your own terms, um, which is obviously what Cassian ends up doing and uh, sacrificing for, you know, everything. So I think this, passivism that we see from him, maybe not in the sense of like he's obviously getting involved but with what we see at the end of this episode he's kind of just like great I got my free ticket and I'm done right right you know and i I think the uh, what we see at this end of the episode uh, really does emphasize that so Uh, Back in the present, Cassian confronts Marva and tells her to finish packing up all of her essentials and prepare to leave. Um, However, Marva says that she doesn't want to. Um, We get some of her reasoning on why she doesn't want to leave Ferex and why she chooses to stay. Um, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that and what do you think about Marva's reasoning and why she chooses to stay on Ferex?
1: Well, it's sort of interesting that, you know, the people on Ferex blame Cassian for what happened um, when her like reasoning for wanting to stay sort of implies that everyone there on Ferex is almost ready to stand up and rebel as well. Um, or at least that that's sort of the, the shared feeling amongst the citizens there um, that she, you know, she herself is too old uh, you know, to, to not do something. She's too old uh, to care anymore uh, about being, you know, kind of shut down for, you know, for years and years and years. Uh, and she wants to do something about it because what else is she going to do? Um, but saying, you know, implying that that the rest of Ferex as well kind of shares this sentiment of like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to let this continue anymore. Um, and she wants to be a part of this rebellion there are a lot of interesting bits in this conversation um where you know it, it's it's not just outright stated but you kind of hope um that that there is at least some kind of i guess future for Ferex um because it's clear that marvis says that you know she whatever that might be if there is rebellion um involved in the future she wants to be a part of it because she you know she says The Empire is here to stay for, you know, for good this time. Um, So clearly there's hints to things that have happened in the past that maybe she regrets not doing something about or feels like, you know, we're not going to take this again. Um, So it's a it's a very the whole conversation is very vague, um, but it gives a lot to to kind of ask about, you know.
0: Yeah, I think with what we are seeing in regards to like what happened to Clem, something obviously went down in regards to some sort of imperial uh, occupation. But did she respond in a way that maybe she, you know, felt was appropriate or did she even respond at all? Or did she just kind of sit there and just take it in, in in an effort to not maybe make things worse? But yeah, you're right. She does mention that she's like, I'm too old for this shit. Not in a way of like how Obi-Wan says it to where he's like, I'm too old (laughs) to get involved in this sort of thing. No, she's like, I'm too old to care anymore. So if they want to kill me and capture me and and torture me, whatever. You know, like she's kind of at the end of her rope, so to speak. Uh, And I love that she sees staying on Ferex as an act of rebellion in the same way that some of the Aldani people kind of did too is like, no, this is my home. Like, you're not going to kick me out of it. Like I live here and it, even to make it worse, maybe in me fleeing, then you have reason to sort of capture me. Cause as they mentioned later in the show, like you kind of running is a reason to be suspicious. Um, so I, 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 love that she thinks that staying on this planet is an act of rebellion. And you're right that. She kind of also hints that, you know, because of this robbery, others are starting to get inspired by that, and I think that that's going to have Cassian see that when you when when you stand up against the empire, it's not just you receive. X amount of credits and whatever your score was is what you got. Like you're also kind of boosting the morale of others across the galaxy in the same way that they talk about in The Last Jedi of like Luke being there is a power in and of itself and can inspire others to take a stand and to to be inspired by that sense of hope and knowing that not everybody is just all hope is lost and you might as well submit or like a Jen would say is like it's not so bad if you don't look up. Like encouraging people to look up and not just that, but to strike back and really stand up for yourself. So, um, Marva's great, like Cassie, and like listen to her, man. Like, she's kicking ass in this episode. Like, I was a, a really big fan of this, and also, you know, we, we get hints, uh, in prior episodes that she was involved at some point, you know. And I love that she's kind of maybe, uh, uh, kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the years, and now she's at this point where she's like, just whatever, whatever, you know, I'm too old, but if you're gonna kill me, kill me. Like, I'm I, I don't care anymore,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great there's 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 some really good stuff as well kind of uh hinting to her like her perspective on like like you said what happened on aldani um and like her perception of what those people you know must have been feeling or her feelings towards the people that that led this attack and and carried out this act of rebellion yeah and it's so i the whole time i was like he obviously can't say anything, right? Like he can't tell her that he was involved, sure. you know, there's no, no, no way. Nor
0: would he want to, because he, he, no. he just saw what happened when you get people involved in your shenanigans.
1: Right. And that's something that's, you know, I don't know if that is going to end up being any kind of motivator for Cassian of like, you know, she is like, man, if I if I had half the courage that those people had, you know, I could do a lot of good here and yeah. you know, people, I, I think that will be something is the perception of the attack on the garrison at Aldani is one of those things that's going to be strongest for, for Cassian to see for him. Yeah. It was about the money, but for everybody that wasn't involved, it means a lot more. Um, and obviously it meant a lot to people like Nemec and people like Val, But, you know, to the people that hear about this, it means so much. And for him, that's sort of the moment where he has to question, okay, I was involved in this. What does that make me? Does that mean that I should care about this? Um, So it's very, very, again, like I said, vague, vague stuff, um, hinting towards what we might hear in the future. Um, But I really, really enjoyed this conversation.
0: You know what it actually reminds me of in a weird way? And I think you'll, you'll definitely see uh, see what I'm saying. And I hope some listeners do too. It reminds me of that scene in Spider-Man 2 uh, with Peter and Aunt May um, to where he's kind of given up and he's not really Spider-Man at this point, And she's like selling all of her stuff. Uh, and they're talking about, uh, I think the kid's name is Henry, like that little boy. And yeah. Aunt, Aunt May talks about like how important it is to have a symbol like Spider-Man. I actually pulled up um, some of the quotes here. And she said, uh, and Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero around like that. Saving old girls like me, Um, courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Uh, Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names. And years later, uh, they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught them how to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. Um, Even though sometimes we have to be steady and give up the thing we want most, uh, even our dreams. Um, I think that conversation just is really kind of similar to what the energy is here as far as like having this older generation talking to the one coming up and just kind of being like, it's in your hands, man. Like we've done everything that we can do. And so it's up to you to to be sort of that symbol for others around you, especially during these times. Uh, and then also emphasizing the importance of these symbols too. And I also, I think, even just a layer deeper, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that Marva knows that Cassiana was involved here, but I definitely think Aunt May in that season knows that that Peter is Spider-Man. And she's kind of just like it's too bad Spider-Man's not around you know like I've always kind of gotten that energy so um I love the sort of the dramatic irony that's going on here to where Marva it feels inspired by this and I love that Cassian is able to see that firsthand of someone that he knows that was inspired by these actions and then I hope he is able to see it in himself which of course he eventually does
1: yeah and uh, that's that's kind of the main main thing here is I wonder how much we will see of his kind of his call to action um, actually being fruitful um, by the time this, this series wraps up maybe even this season, but I love that poll. And even beyond that, it makes me think of the first Spider-Man where, where uh, Osborne says everybody loves a hero, but they love to see a hero fall, fail, die. You know, (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where again, pulling back to it, the, the adversaries here are, are sort of, you know, wanting to choke out the rebellion in ways of like, you know, like
0: making an example of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, which yeah, good stuff. Really good stuff. Are sure. we a Spider-Man podcast now?
0: <laughs> we could be. I, I definitely have plenty of thoughts on it, but uh, uh, yeah, this con- conversation continues. Cassian says that the Empire is too powerful to be worn down by these acts of rebellion. Uh, Marva states that fascism can't be banished in one day. It's a slow and steady process, but it's going to happen one day. Uh, phew, I mean, come on, you know, like uh, <laughs> Star Wars getting political? Hell yeah! Like it's just like a that's a super uh, super relevant topic to today. So uh, great stuff there. Uh, she says that she understands that Cassian is on a different path and that she, um, isn't going to judge him, but she also knows that Cassian is equating freedom with money, uh, and the access that can come with it. So I think that that's great that Cassian's like I got all this cash now like I can just move to wherever I want I don't have to worry about all of that stuff but understanding that it just because you have a lot of money that you are not now uh, free from the boot of the empire like it is still going to step and realizing sooner or later that it is going to step on all of us not just the the lowly people which again. Super relevant to today. Good stuff.
1: <laughs> very, very relevant. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm curious to see kind of the again the perspective of. I don't know. Cassian is, so far has struck me as somebody that the 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 funds are obviously what he's, you know, what's important to him, but he is still an honest person. Um, he, like, you know, gives Bix the money to to pay back his debts, and he obviously doesn't take skiing up on his offer to just take yeah. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So he's he's obviously still an honest person and has a good heart. It is just that question of you know, what are you really fighting for? And how much does this one thing mean to you when you're actually providing a symbol for everybody else? You know?
0: Yeah. He's definitely not like a malicious evil character. He's just selfish at this point. He's definitely got a sense of self-preservation, but also understanding, you know, and having an appreciation for loved ones and friends around him and, you know, making sure that despite his best efforts like some of his actions might hurt other people so trying to atone for those in a way um yeah i think uh, cassian is proving to be like a very multifaceted character and then also is in great conversation with what we see in rogue one too
1: yeah i'm i'm saying this right now now that we're uh past the halfway point of this series um so much of this show has made me want to like I want to get to the end of it so that I can watch Rogue One and like, and just think of all these moments of like, now I know this character. Like now I actually understand this character and care a lot about him. So good stuff.
0: Good stuff. Indeed. Um, on a parting note, uh, she tells Cassian to stop looking for his sister uh, because there weren't any survivors on Kanari. Uh, we don't really get much more than that, but, um, we know that Cassian was obviously looking for his sister at the very first episode of the series. I'm so curious to see if that will come back in the play, um, later in the series. Yeah. We don't really have yeah, the, too much yeah. to, to go off of other than that.
1: She's, she's basically like, Oh, and in case you forgot, uh, Stop looking for your sister. Yeah. Definitely don't do that Um, because you're not going to find anything. So don't even try and forget about it. Okay. And he's like, well, actually, thanks for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs>
0: yeah. It seems to me like Chekhov's sister, you know, like uh, exactly it's just like, hey, audience, also don't forget Cassian's looking for his sister, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Back at the ISB, uh, Lieutenant Supervisor Blevin uh, tries to frame uh, Deidre uh, for insubordination. Uh, because she illegally accessed files that she was not supposed to um, get access to, uh, but when Deidre provides that she went out of her way in order to establish these uh, connections between the theft of the um, secret stolen equipment and its distribution to rebel groups across the galaxy, uh, Major Partigas um, seems pretty uh, impressed uh, with her gumption and assigns the Ferx case to her, Uh, because she appears to be more interested in this rather than distracted uh, by this case. Um, And that encourages the rest of the ISB to follow in her uh, footsteps. Um, Lots of great stuff here. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about this, uh, not only this kind of, dark side empire philosophy, uh, but also some callbacks we, that we see to prior episodes um, and not just what uh, part of was saying to the ISB, but then also like Nimix as well. Um, I thought that this was another great, uh, a, another great just scene. That's a conversation in this episode. Just so compelling.
1: Well, it's super, it's super tense and you can kind of follow, you can kind of follow this. It's very much like a, like a court drama of, you know, of, these two sides yeah, battling, and, yeah, yeah, battling with their facts and, yeah. and they're like, yeah, but this argument and, uh, and part of is like, oh, do you have a rebuttal? And, you know, she's like, well, actually this, this, this. Yeah. And she, and he's like, he's like very interesting. Your counterpoint, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this back and forth of like, you know, I think that the reality here is that like we talked about before, we're getting this kind of infighting, we're getting this sort of, you know, power struggles and people wanting to sabotage others just for their own personal career gains. Um, but I think ultimately, um, major part of is somebody that ultimately wants that success for the, for the, uh, the ISB and i almost said IBS that's hilarious um <laughs> for he wants success for the ISB and he wants that sort of you know okay we're going to quell these these sicknesses these diseases we're going to to you know squash these these insubordinations and these uh you know whatever whatever they are we're yeah. going to seek them out um so Blevin in a in a way is is kind of going against while he is presenting himself as like, I'm trying to uphold the rules, okay? Um that's not what that's not what Partigaz cares about. He doesn't care about like, oh no, we do things this way around here. What he cares about is doing his job. And he clearly has like an immense self like sense of self-respect and an immense sense of like honor that has been put on his title his position is to do this job and to do it well and Deidre clearly is the one that's going out of her way to say yeah 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 Aldani whatever I'm going to trace it back to this and that's more interesting of a you know of a lead that Partigas can say okay great now we actually have resources to start Nipping these things in the bud instead mm-hmm. of reacting to these bigger attacks. So it makes sense that he sort of sides with her, but I think it's interesting because it, it says a lot about the fact that he's more interested in, you know, getting to the root of these problems and not just, oh, great work. You really did some awesome detectiving. Yeah. You know. He's clearly more interested in you know, okay. Let's get to the bottom of this because everybody seems to care about the here and now, and you've got information for things that we can stop that are that haven't happened yet. So it's very, it's very, very cool.
0: Yeah, it really reminds me of the conversation that Cassian had with uh, Nimic. I believe it was last week's episode where, uh, or that or the or the week before, I believe it was last week's where they were talking about this, like this idea of. You know, uh, Nimic was hesitant to trust Cassian because he was a mercenary and Cassian is like, you know, the empire doesn't care. Like, you know, the empire doesn't need to, you know, uh, adapt to these sort of moral quandaries. They just care about winning and they just care about uh, winning at any cost. So they don't have to worry about the people that they align themselves with. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But I love that we get to see that play out here, to where um, Pardgas, who mentions in the very first episode of the show, is like, "Throw out the rule book. Um, It doesn't matter. Like, if you do your job to its fullest completion and you do what is asked of you, like that, 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 you know, who cares about the rest of it?" And it's such a dark side sort of mentality of. You know, stabbing others in the back uh, as long as you prove to be the strongest, the most resourceful one. Like that's all that matters is just that you win. Um, And I, I love that in this in this kind of. Situation here, like I found myself really like rooting for Deidre in a weird way of just like, yeah, but then also of like, oh, well, no, like still a fascist, you know, like because uh, <laughs> uh, she's like trying to one up Levin and, you know, all of that. Uh, it was just a really great way to pit these two against each other, but then also to emphasize sort of like the dark side mentality of it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win. You know, that is all that matters at the end of the day. And I thought this was a, a really great example of that.
1: Yeah, really, really interesting that you can watch this scene um, that takes place only with bad guys, and yeah. there's, like, a worse guy, and you're like, yeah, suck it, worse guy. <laughs> the yeah. less worse guy, uh, or gal in this instance, the yeah. less worse gal, like, got your goat. Yeah. You sucker. And then, yeah, it's like, this still isn't good for anybody. I mean, yeah. but it's cool. It's 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 really just politically interesting yeah you know? the
0: show is seeming to like set up its villains in like underdog sort of positions here because we get that with Cyril too is like he's getting nagged at by his mom uh, we find out at the end of the show that he has a shitty job now he works at a cubicle like a space oh, cubicle man. Uh, which by the way we get somebody who looks like a, 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 a chiss it looks like there's like a, a jabroni yeah. in the background with like he's blue skin to, or blue toned skin with like glasses on uh, so it seems like he's working at like an office space sort of situation here i just have to imagine like the the office politics have got to be the same you know you've got the manager who's like coming by and just a you know office space style like it's uh yeah yeah uh so so great i would love to see uh like the office in space that'd be terrific
1: right uh but that that image especially is one of those things like i mentioned up top of the we don't really see this we don't get to see this kind of thing a whole lot Um, and now that we do, it's just like, man, I, I don't think like my life will never be the same knowing what like star Wars cubicles look like. Yeah. And cause it's so it's presented as so drab and so like horrible. Yeah. And I just love it. You yeah. know,
0: just like the real world, <laughs> even in yep. the magical world of star Wars, everything, if you work in a cubicle, People hate
1: their jobs. Exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, such good stuff there. And a uh, really great conversation uh, with the empire here. I'm um, curious to see uh, major part is like, he's, he's one of the best Imperial officers that we've seen. Like I, I'm a big sucker of Imperial officers just as far close as second like
1: second to Krennic close second.
0: Um, yeah, Krennic is really great, uh, and I also think of uh, Last Jedi. He's got some really great Imperial officers. Yeah, but he's he's definitely in there. He's like a top draft pick for sure. Um, we cut back to Cassian, who is now residing on the planet uh, Neemos, uh, this kind of beachy sort of tropical planet here. Uh, the scene has some really unique like Star Wars music cues and everything. Yeah. I was like,
1: whoa,
0: this is weird. Uh, see, what a vibe! What a vibe indeed. Yeah, I, I told you this episode is hot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Cassian seems to be a big fan of the the beach, unfortunately, for him. Uh, but uh, while he's sort of just, like, strolling around, we get to see some other alien weirdos on this beach. Just I was eating all of this up. Um, he's walking around as a, quote-unquote, tourist. Um, this seems to be, like, pretty true, though. He's, like, on this planet, not for, like, recon or anything. He's just, like, just hanging out, you know? he's He's got his money. He's got his paycheck. He's just here to kind of relax. Um, we also see him with this, like, woman earlier. He's robbing her and, like... You know, uh, it seems like they had quite a romantic evening the night before. He's he's posing as this man called Keith Geargo, which has got to be like one of the worst Star Wars names. Uh, but Cassian, a certified ladies' man, he is absolutely, absolutely. crushing. It.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just what else would you expect? And I, I do have to say, uh, having been there, wait, hold on, let me put on my hoity toity uh, <laughs> my hoity toity suit. Uh, having been there, this is like directly looks a lot like Mexico and what beaches look like on Mexico, kind of the the resorts along the beach and there's like you know there's there's you've got obviously the the waterline, the shoreline, but all the shops and everything. It's very, very clearly inspired by kind of a central American South American resort vibe. Um, which I think is very interesting.
0: Yeah, it was filmed on Clevis uh, Cle- Beach, uh, C-L-E-V-E-L-E-Y-S. E V E L. Don't hurt yourself, <laughs> There's literally like seven. Uh, can I buy a vowel for God's sakes? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Cle- Clevis Beach, uh, which is in apparently the UK. So you're not even in the right hemisphere, Noah.
1: Whatever. Whatever, dog. Uh but no. They got no beaches over there. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs>
0: uh but no, this uh, this location is like very futuristic and yeah, I love that Cassian is just like you can go anywhere and he's he's still choosing like a beach, you know. Where else? Where where else would you want to just hang loose and and uh, Duh. uh have a little R&R. Uh but yeah, while he's uh, exploring this beach as a tourist, uh, he is captured by a chirper. Um, after seeing some assailants uh, fleeing other troopers uh, and is assaulted by a KX droid, probably not K2SO, but still cool to see those droids come back. I don't think that we're going to see uh, K2 in this season, maybe in another one, or uh, maybe maybe I could be proven wrong. Um, but yeah, Cassian is like kind of caught in the middle, similar to his father. Uh, caught in the middle of a situation to where he's not really involved... As maybe as much as Clem was, uh, but he kind of like flees the scene in a way uh, and is uh, usurped by some shore troopers, baby. Yeah, so man. So excited to see those dudes back. If you guys don't know, shore troopers are my favorite stormtrooper design uh, and they look terrific. We get to see like one of them talk in this, he like accosts uh, Cassian good stuff. I was like,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. it. He's just, you know, uh, wrongfully stopping and seizing a, mi- uh, a minority. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> love it.
0: Great stuff. Yeah. No, I love that the stormtroopers troopers are as, as confirmed to be like the, the Hawaiian shirt flip-flop wearing, you know, uh, storm troopers, uh, just really terrific. And yeah, I love that this, the reveal of the KX droid like coming up the stairs like you see it and you're like oh is that like could that be K2 and then he's just like double fisting these you know uh, you know prisoners that he's just got by the neck and he's just like dragging them up the stairs Uh, it was really really great.
1: Um, I really did think that Alan was gonna was gonna just appear. I thought that Alan Tudyk was just gonna be like, "What's <laughs> up?" And I was like, "Oh no,
0: yeah, uh, yeah." We'll probably see K two maybe uh, if in this season, definitely towards the end. But I, I for sure think uh, next season definitely. Um, but Cassian, uh, because of this, uh, because of this sort of situation that he's found himself in, uh, has now been sentenced to six years in prison uh, for an offense that previously would have been for six months um i think that this uh, this episode is probably leading into i would assume is what we kind of see for cassian for most of the rest of the season uh in this situation that he's found himself in but beyond that i really love what this kind of is teeing up for cassian's character
1: here in what way specifically i i love because i like my mind goes to like oh my god prison break in star Wars. Oh, I mean, like, <laughs> more for sure. That's, getting in a prison break. Absolutely. But I mean, that's like yeah. my first thing, but yeah, I, I hear kind of the, you know, okay, there is, there is now precedent for, you know, he, he has to now not resolve, but he has to, he has to navigate this situation of the empire Way overstepping their bounds in one sense, but also in another, dude was innocent, and also he's like in a dangerous spot now. But dude was innocent and wrongfully convicted, yeah, and like way, way, way over sentenced, yeah. Well, so
0: I-, I love that lots there. I love that Cassian uh, is in this situation. Because he's like, I, I did I did what I had to do. I got my money and I, you know, I'm fleeing to the beach and I it's all easy breezy from here, man. Like I got exactly what I wanted. And so now the empire can't get me. And the dude gets sentenced to six years in prison for not even the thing that he is like trying to avoid. Like he's like, I just robbed the empire so bad. The emperor Palpatine is like flipping out about it. And I get <laughs> sentenced to jail because I mouthed off to a, sh- a shore trooper, you know? Like, I love that Cassian, in an effort to avoid all of this and to kind of keep his head down, as a result of the very thing that he did, is now spending far more time in prison. And I love that his hand is sort of being forced here of, like... Yeah, you are uh, trying to avoid prison because of this obvious, you know, uh, robbery that you inflicted, but you're not even going to prison for that thing. And how many other people across the galaxy are experiencing something similar to where now they're being sentenced to something that, you know, was essentially like a Star Wars misdemeanor? You know, now you're at the point to where you're serving six years um, for running and mouthing off, you know, like uh, Cassian has now been forced into this situation or has sort of been thrust upon him that he was like actively avoiding.
1: Yeah. And there's obviously there's layers here that are, you know, he wasn't even really running. Yeah. He wasn't even really raising his voice. And yet the short trooper is like, why are you raising your voice? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not raising my voice. And he's, you know, gets right. And he gets charged for it. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's there's obvious layers there that are kind of indicative of the overreach here. So I'm, I'm curious to see if we will maybe get some more instances of this or any kind of conversations that maybe happen as a result of this, as Cassian is inevitably going to prison. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to make it out before he gets to prison. Um, you know, there's that. And then that also kind of brings me to think about what we will end up seeing at some point in this show, because it's in the trailer, um, with, Imperial, you know, officers or agents with riot shields and kind of the imposition of the Empire for maybe some not, you know, not so gigantic, quote unquote, crimes. Yeah. Um, And what is the Imperial response to some of these things? I think that, you know. This is an awesome way to show that it goes beyond imperial occupation. Where what we've seen, you know, up to this point is something like the Bad Batch or Obi Wan Kenobi. It's like, oh man, everything was good until the Empire showed up. Now they, you know, there's stormtroopers everywhere, and they hang around all the time. Yeah, and everywhere is like it, and it's like, okay, that must not be that bad if you know a guy is walking down the street and. Someone says he looks shady, therefore he's arrested, therefore yeah. he's in prison for six years. That's, you know, that's more than we've ever seen for, for something like this. And sure. I think that it's really very compelling.
0: Yeah. And it also has like a pretty real world application too, to where people are stopped and uh, frisked. If you want to use that word, stopped and frisk is a real thing yeah. and the, for, for things just looking suspicious, you know, uh, this whole broken window sort of policing in, in that, That person looks suspicious. They're not breaking any laws, but I'm going to stop them and find reasons, you know, for them to 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 be punished. Um, Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot of real-world applications to that, and also who doesn't love a Star Wars prison break, man? Like, hell yeah.
1: Big, Everyone loves it. Big Everyone fan loves of that. Yeah,
0: so I would imagine Cassian's probably going to spend if not all of, a, a lot of the rest of the season, definitely the next three episodes, based on the way that this show has been right. set up. Like episode one, introduced in the prison. Uh, episode two is planning an escape. Episode three, maybe a prison an escape um, so the fact that in one season of Star Wars television we're getting not just a robbery but a prison escape it's like yeah this is man. a true blue Western man hell yeah yes it is <laughs> yes
1: this is more Western than the Mandalorian there I said it he, he'll
0: say anything yeah I'm wondering if they're gonna like you know put the little bars around the you know the rope around the bars and like you know tow it out with a spaceship and everything like I'd
1: be into that yeah <laughs>
0: um so yeah any final thoughts on episode 7 um, announcement?
1: Um, nothing, nothing too huge. I, I'm really excited for, uh, for where this show is going to be going because it's interesting that, uh, you know, with episode four, five, and six of this show, we sort of, we, we sort of shifted gears kind of very, very abruptly, not in a bad way. Uh, you know, it was just a very obvious sort of, okay, we told, we started telling this story. We are now onto this part of the story. Um, and I was fully expecting sort of that same structure of, okay, now we're moving on. We're not going to see any more of Cinta. We're not going to see any more of Val, but I was proven wrong. And some of these things that have been introduced so far are just kind of continuing and sort of all's, you know, melding together into a much bigger thing. I'm just very, very excited for it. And like I had said up top, coming out of this episode with way more questions, you know, mostly about Mon Mothma and Luthan and wanting to know what they're up to or what they will get up to. Um, but lots of really good questions that are, I'm just, you know, burning for answers. I cannot wait for next week.
0: Yeah. I mean, I forgot to even mention that. Yeah. Like Vel is tasked with like killing Cassian now. Like, I don't, I think I overlooked that one. I don't know how I could have, but yeah, like, that was a
1: very, it was a very quick moment, but yeah. yeah.
0: The fact that, uh, uh, you know, uh it seems like Luther Real doesn't really maybe care about Cassian that much. Uh, uh, it seems like he just kind of sees him as this means to an end. So definitely, uh, it seems like uh, maybe Vel is going to find her way into prison. Is there going to be a Star Wars shanking? I don't know. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this was probably one of my favorite episodes of of, of Star Wars in recent Disney Plus uh, years. Uh, I just love a lot of the philosophical conversations and, and just predicaments that this show really offers. Um, I find it endlessly compelling, a lot of these varying character dynamics and how they interact with one another. Um, I really liked uh, the locations of everything here. A lot of great costuming, great music. It was just like everything was firing on all cylinders for me in this episode. And I can't wait for episode eight. So, yeah, bring yeah, it man. on. Bring it on.
1: Bring it on, Andor. You've got you've got a few more episodes left. Show us what you got.
0: Yeah, we are definitely uh, closing in, uh, starting, to, uh, starting our landing sequence here as we uh, are finishing out season one in the second half of it. Uh, but until then, Noah, do you want to wrap it up and take us home?
1: absolutely thank you guys so much for tuning in with us we hope you learned something today if there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover you can head over to our twitter and shoot us a message at scum pod but for now this has been scum and villainy with noah de george and gary mcdowell and may the force be with you we'll see you next time see
0: you guys